On today's episode of the podcast, I kind of give you a little bit of a free agency primer off of the lottery being set and how that impacts the picks behind him, how that could impact some of the trade stuff, teams with cap space, some of the best free agents, and the Harden problem in Philadelphia. That and CJ McCollum, not only are the Pelicans, but the Players Association president. We're going to talk Zion. We're going to talk Dame. We're going to talk about the West, specifically the Nuggets and how great Joker and Murray are. And then some of the CBA stuff that I love at the end as well. Life advice, succession recap, one episode to go. Enjoy. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Because we had no games last night, I'm not going to do any tales from the couch type of stuff. You know, unfortunately, the way it lands with the Tuesday, Thursdays is sometimes like I'll get caught in the same series. and I'm not talking about the other one. It's just basically a scheduling thing. Uh, But after coming back from the combine, hanging out, talking to people after the combine, I just wanted to run through a bunch of different things as we lead into what is going to be a really interesting offseason, but also limited and maybe some of the excitement. But as soon as you say that with this league, uh, you know, that's not going to be the case because we're still we have no idea that the two or three things that are going to happen that are going to happen. You're going to be like, oh, man, didn't see that coming. And it kind of changes everything. But at least what we know, right? We know that Wimbanyama is going to San Antonio. And I'll make this quick because you shouldn't even listen to me on this one. Because of all the teams I was rooting for and rooting against, I was able to come up with more ideas of what I didn't want to happen with Wimbanyama uh, for maybe valid reasons and maybe not so valid reasons. From a basketball standpoint, I did like the idea of him potentially with Detroit's backcourt with Cade, a healthy Cade Cunningham and, and Ivy. Um, obviously, Orlando, you know, not a great chance at it, but if they were to pull it off, then you'd felt like that could be something really, really special. But just from a basketball standpoint and doing things the right way, San Antonio makes the most sense. And again, my point on San Antonio is completely should dismiss it. But to get David Robinson, Duncan, and Wenbanyama with the same franchise, like, you know, a lot of that is also my angst, my college angst, and how pissed off I was that they got Duncan when I thought he was going to be going to the Celtics. Again, that's 26 years ago, so maybe I should get over it. So that's the point, is as far as taking every emotion out of it, San Antonio actually is the right right spot for him because they'll do it the right way. You know, one of the oddest things about San Antonio, who wasn't good this year, as we know, uh, and every stat will tell you, they were even worse, perhaps, in some ways, is they actually were still trying to run an offense. They were trying to do real basketball things. And it was impressive. Towards the end of the year, I was like, man, they're actually like really still trying to do stuff. And I think that's going to be really important for him. I watched one Banyama this past weekend, dude's still playing. And, you know, the dunks, the shot making, small forward at 7-5, all the really cool stuff. What he is defensively, we've never seen before. Uh, yes, he's probably going to get hurt. I think he's going to get hurt maybe multiple times. If Kevin Durant got hurt 
as many times as he did, would you still take him number one? Of course you would. And the dude's been hurt a lot. Like he's had two massive injuries in the middle of all the other times that he's had to shut it down. You would still take what Durant has been with his injuries, number one overall. And I have my own working theory of the big players who move like smaller players and the body just not being ready for that. And I've read about his feet workouts and some of the stuff that he's doing because he is, as you guys see that picture of him next to Rudy Gobert, he made Gobert like, if you didn't know anybody's size, <laughs> you go, no, that guy's like seven one plus. And I think his frame's actually going to be bigger than Rudy's too. So uh, he had a play defensively where it was kind of a pick and roll where the roll man, it's not that he beat him, but he got behind him. And at one point I'm like, oh, did he get beat on this? And it wasn't that he deflected the pass to the roll man. It's that the pass got behind him and looked like the pass was going to beat him. And he just reaches backwards. It's actually kind of hard to explain because when he did it, I just started laughing because you don't see stuff like that. So defensively, I believe he's special right away. Offensively, he's capable of being special. Uh, I know I saw the Broussard thing where it's like if he's not Akeem or Durant, then it's a disappointment. That's just fucking stupid. Sorry. I like Chris, but yeah, come on. Um, but he's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt. The point will be how many times will he actually be hurt? Uh, I would, I would think. So... If you look at what that means to the rest of it, I haven't talked to anybody out of the combine. There's no, there hasn't felt like there's any kind of surprises here where uh, it's it's obviously Wenbanyama and then Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson. And it depends on where you are with Scoot. Uh, he wasn't as good. People weren't as excited about him this past year as they were the previous year, even though he played less two years ago. I like him. I could change my mind. I'm leaving myself open as I continue to just do my cramming here before the draft and getting caught up on everything I need to get caught up on. But I'm a scoot guy. I would take him second. The things I like about him aren't just that he's got some real juice to his game at 6'2". It was weird. I think coming out of high school, he was listed at 6'3". Uh, he was 17 when he entered the G League, did a two-year deal, 500 grand each year. Uh, people think he may have been coasting a bit this season. Not going to be shocked. But there's some stuff that he can do. And this is the most important thing, the stuff that arouses me when it comes to basketball players. Uh, and it's a little Halliburton-ish, all right? When you watch Halliburton in college, you went, okay, he sees the game in a way that the other nine guys on the court don't even see. Like, he sees possibilities they're not even aware of. And it's just the way Halliburton plays, on top of his shooting and everything else he's done since he's been in the pros. But there was a real... Not just vision, crazy Jason Kidd type stuff, but a, a just a way he saw the game where other dudes just be like, whoa, I can't even believe like you did that or why would you do that? Uh, there's a couple plays from Scoot this season where he catches it and he's already making the pass before he lands. He has one in transition where it's defensive rebound. They get it up to him. And instead of like most guards, especially somebody that's projected to be the second or third pick, would just take it and go, all right, you know, I've got it. We're off kind of the break here, and let me just see what I can do attacking the hoop. He already was making a pass to a guy ahead of him before he even lands. I find that to be special because you actually just don't see it very often. And the other thing that I really liked about him is that so many guards, especially with his profile and all the notoriety, it's like, okay, now these are my possessions and we'll see what happens. Doesn't mean he's not going to pass, but he doesn't just bring the ball over half court, go, okay, cool, I'm the man. Let's see what we can do here. Um, it is, I've got the ball off of the defensive rebound. I look ahead and see a two-on-two -two 
or a three on two, or I think somebody's open at the three point line. If I get it to them right now, they're going to have a wide open look off a push here. Let me do it. I don't just need to bring it over half court, even though I can get away with doing it all the time. And that's the stuff about him beyond you know, the there's some there is a little Chris Paul there. So now I probably ruined my credibility on him with everybody listening. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff about him that I like, but that specifically, which is rare for a young player. So then it gets to Charlotte at two, where, you know, if you're in the room, Mitch Kupchak, and you're thinking about it, you're going, okay, it's a tie. Does the tie go to Brandon Miller? Because we don't really want to do anything that would look like another guard, although a combo and scoot where that would get in Lamelo's way, or that would feel like we're doubling up on anything. My number one rule when you're not very good is don't worry about fit, need, and all that kind of stuff. Take the best players. That's where you start screwing up. But with this, okay, back to the original question, would it matter to have Scoot with Lamelo? I think Lamelo can play with a lot of different people. I also think Lamelo needs to figure out beyond the injuries, which is unfortunate. But there's another level that he's going to need to get to uh, if they're ever going to win any kind of games. And I'm not just talking about stats. I'm talking about all the other stuff that I don't think he does a very good job with and probably hasn't been accountable for it for a long time, or at least when he's tried to, it, he hasn't expressed a desire to to lock in some of the things that he needs to do. Um, but I do think LaMelo can play with a lot of people. So the scoot position thing, not a huge, I wouldn't look at it as a, as a huge problem. There also is another tie where you could go, all right, well, what if Brandon Miller, you know, digging into everything that happened off the court with Alabama, where I feel like teams are fine with it to a point, but what if Charlotte's thinking, okay, we were still dealing with this Miles Bridges decision. Do we actually want to do this again? Now, if they like Brandon Miller, and they think he's the better player and they're okay with their own research and investigation and what he is and the interviews and all that kind of stuff. I personally would think it'd be a mistake if they like him second best in this draft to pass on him because Miles Bridges situation. Um, but that's not super realistic because you never know. Like the stuff that we don't think about as fans and even in the media at times is like, what if what if Charlotte's actually like surveying the community and, hey, how do you feel about the team? And granted, you win or lose is probably going to be your answer. But would there be anything where it's like we need to bring in somebody that we feel like has a cleaner rep coming in because of the Bridges situation, because of community, because of sales, because of different advertising partners, right? These are all variables that you would have to weigh far more than we probably do day to day. So if Miller were to go second, what does that mean for Portland at three? Now we start talking about some of that positional stuff that I think is a rule you would hate to break. But sometimes there's the exception. And for Portland, if they still have Simons and Lillard on the team, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you bring in another small guard. But Simons and Lillard, if they're together still, you're never doing anything in the playoffs. You're just not. That backcourt defensively being that small, as much as I like both players, they likely need to be split up. And I don't know what that it's really going to be up to Lillard more than it's going to be up to anybody else in this situation. So then you start entering the conversation of if another team loves Scoot, other teams have Scoot number two on their board. Do they start looking at Portland as a real opportunity to make the trade there? And is there a team that's actually like already good that has the veteran good player where they want to reset the deck? And I'm not saying Middleton for Scoot Henderson, but that kind of deal where you feel like on the fly you're adding a prospect you really, really like to take your next chance at this. Because Milwaukee, and again, I'm that's not based on anything other than just trying to use an example of plugging a veteran player that Dame would feel good about. He's sticking around because Middleton's its own decision that we'll get to a little bit in a free agency primer. But those trades are really hard to find. Who is 
which team is good, willing to sacrifice the good vet and maybe downgrade their chances at a title going into next season or at least competing along that top four seeding area? Which team has a piece like that that's ready to go, that satisfies Portland, that satisfies Team Lillard, and is enough of a price to pay for somebody in the number three pick if Scoot were still there? Now, if it were to go Scoot two and then Brandon Miller three, and who knows, maybe even Brandon Miller's not going to be enough for Lillard. So those are some of the things at the top that people were talking about coming out. Uh, I did love that in one interview, uh, the team wouldn't tell me the player. Uh, the guy was like, you know, what do you think about some comps? And the guy's like, I'm, uh, I think like KD. <laughs> Seems like anybody else. He's like, nah, like KD's like my floor. The team did not agree that KD was his floor. Uh, and they wouldn't tell me who the player was. We know what, uh, it's a guy in this year's draft class. That's all I can tell you. That's all I know. So let's talk about cap space. The projected cap for the upcoming season in the NBA is going to be around 134, $136 million. Uh, I have the top six cap space teams here. Don't hold me to the dollar on this because some of the projections I was looking at were around the trade deadline, then updating some of the decisions the teams have made. A couple buyouts here or there. The lottery picks and how many teams with multiple first round picks in general uh, could change kind of the cap hold situation for some of this. So this is not to the dollar. It's a rough estimate, but puts you in the ballpark of who has some cap space to work with. Houston has between 56 and 60 million. They've got a KJ Martin decision that they have to make. Uh, I'd imagine maybe they'd want to extend him there. Maybe they don't. I don't know. Uh, San Antonio, Trey Jones, restricted free agent, $5 million cap hold. And then Romeo Langford uh, has a cap hold as well as restricted free agents. So San Antonio is kind of in that 40 to $48 million range. Utah could have anywhere between around 30 to $45 million, I believe. Jordan Clarkson has a player option for $14.3 million. He will opt out of that. I imagine Taylor Horton Tucker will pick up his $11 million player option. And Rudy Gay likely to pick up that $6.5 million player option. So that's the wide variance on their projected cap space. Oklahoma City has between 30 and $35 million, depending on waiving some guys. Uh, that I was looking at, and you know, I don't know that it's that significant or all matter. Detroit, they could have, I would imagine, around thirty million here. Alec Burks is a ten and a half million dollar player option, or excuse me, a team option for ten and a half million. I would think they'd want to pick that up and just keep him. He contributes. He's been around. He knows what he's doing. And you could pretend, oh, we'll have even more cap space. The problem with cap space is you have it. And then you have to use it. And then you probably want to use it on somebody like Alec Burks. And it might actually be more expensive that when you look at this free agent class. So there's that part of that. The pace is around $28 million. Let's get weird with Orlando. Orlando could have a projected $20 million cap space offseason or up to, I believe, $58 million. Now, part of that's the Jonathan Isaac decision. Only seven point six is guaranteed of the $17.4 million. So they could waive him and pay him $7.5 million, or they could just keep him and say, well, look, let's just add the $10 million, take one more look at the guy in case he actually turns into the player that it, early on in his career looked like he would be defensively. The problem there is he's played 147 of the available 473 games over six years. Markel Fultz is actually only $2 million guaranteed on this deal of the $17 million he's owed next year. Fultz is good. I'd imagine they'd want to keep him. Then they've got a Gary Harris situation where he's actually 0% guaranteed of his $13 million, uh, then Bull Bull as well. Here's the point with Orlando. They would have to, like all teams, know that they're actually a destination for any of the available free agents to go ahead and make some of these decisions. It's more likely that Orlando right now is not that destination because they're not good enough. 
uh, despite what their future looks like. I think, you know, I'm as excited about their roster as any of the ones that we think are developing here. Um, and maybe that leads into the trade and taking on somebody else's contract into that. So it'll be interesting to see which decisions they make with this because it feels like everybody's just coming back and, you know, they'll add a piece here or there as a part, you know, as opposed to that big, big fish. That means they kind of already knew their answers or the risk was too much to just start moving on, especially from full to guys, a contributor who they probably feel really good about. So those are the teams of free agent money. Let's look at the free agents. Uh, depending on which rankings you want to look at here, I even saw Russell Westbrook like ninth on somebody's list still, which I was like, congrats to that man. Harden um, is the number one free agent. Kyrie's number two. I'm not going to rank these. I'm just giving you names. Fred Van Vliet has a player option at $20 million. Jeremy Grant's unrestricted free agent. Kuzma's a $13 million player option. Draymond Green's a $27 million player option. Um... I'd imagine they're going to try to figure out a way, maybe have them opt out and go longer longer years and, and shorter money, but probably still in the ballpark. Josh Hart's a $13 million player option. I would think he would opt out of that. Vooch is available, unrestricted. Przingis has a $36 million player option, which maybe he declines knowing that the Wizards are going to pay him less but longer with his own injury history. Middleton, as we mentioned earlier, $40 million player option. I would think Middleton be working with Milwaukee and trying to work on like, hey, Let's all stay on the same page here unless Milwaukee finds some, you know, some other route here that makes a lot of sense for everybody. Cam Johnson's a restricted free agent. If you threw him some money, what would happen? Would Brooklyn match it? Probably. Uh, Jakob Pertl, unrestricted free agent. So why am I talking cap? No cap. Why am I talking about all these things? Because the biggest thing out of the combine as far as free agents was concerned was James Harden. And I don't want to get Paul George here, Slam Magazine. But whenever I'd ask, you know, hey, you just bullshitting. You know, like, hey, what do you think happens with Harden? I didn't have anybody say, like, oh, I think he's going to Philly. Everybody felt like he was going to Houston. I didn't talk to everybody, right? I didn't talk to every single person there. Clearly, I don't know everybody there. Uh, and sometimes I do think when it becomes the talking point, I wonder if everybody's just repeating the last guy they talked to, and then it just becomes that gossipy. And then every now and then I may ask like specifically, okay, what specifically makes you think that? And I never really got that many specifics. And there was one team that said, you know, look, if they keep, if they bring in D'Antoni, you know, that could be a real game changer here. The problem is uh, Philly's in a tough, tough spot. So I bring all of this up going, all right, there's teams with cap space, the most important being Houston. I don't know that Harden be interested in going to any of those other places without the history. It doesn't make sense, right? If he's going to leave, he's going to leave for Houston, I imagine. Um, there's also an Austin Reeves conversation where the Lakers can only offer him like $50 million, but they can match. But the problem is if Reeves gets four years and $80 million, that means the Lakers, with the way the cap works, are going to get hammered on the back end where his contract's going to be like $27, $28, 29000000 million on the last two years. Um, but if Heroes four years, 120 million, RJ's four years, 170 million, Pools four years, 123 million, Brunson, who Austin Reeves is not, Jalen Brunson, four years, 100 million, Anthony Simons, four years, 100 million, Brunson's a little over that. Uh, where do you think Reeves is? Well, he's not 50 million if those guys are all over 100 million. Is he a $100 million guy? Well, I might not think so, but this is what happens with cap space. 
is you have to find a way to use. So that brings us back to the Houston part of it. This is the math that sucks for Philadelphia. Houston can offer four years, $202 million. Normally, in Philadelphia's case, you'd be like, okay, well, we can pay our guy more. Yes, the raises are higher, 8% each year than a new team's contract. But because of the over 38 rule, which Harden would be 39 on a five-year deal, Philly can technically offer Harden a five-year deal, but it'd be the same number as the four-year $210 million contract they can offer him. So, right, that doesn't make any sense. You're like, what, what are you talking about? That's the problem with the over 38 rule for Harden and for Philadelphia is you'll see people saying they can't offer him the five-year deal. Well, technically they could, but it doesn't mean anything because the way the math works is you have to figure out how that last contract fits on the books to prevent guys from retiring because there used to be an over 35 rule and over 36 rule, and now it's the over 38 rule. Shout out to Chris Paul. Uh, what would Philly do here? So they don't have that extra year. Now, would anybody want to give James Harden that extra year? That's really the question. And all you need right now, if you're Harden, is that second team to be real. So is Houston leverage? I don't think it is. Because they have all of this cap space and no one to use it on. And they can bring back a fan favorite. And I mean this. Like my Harden <laughs> stuff over the years is well documented. All right. You know who gives me the most shit about Harden? My takes, although I don't quite understand how you feel like, ah, fuck Rosillo. Can't believe he's dogging this guy still. Like, you like your position better than mine on this one? All right, so moving on from that, you know who stands up, sticks up for him the most? Rockets fans. Like, overwhelming. Philly fans are going to trash him and agree with everything anybody who's ever been negative about him on the way out, because that's what Philly will do. Houston has defended him despite what Harden did on the way out. Yeah, trade... <laughs> <laughs> trade for Chris Paul. Bring or not trade for Chris Paul. Well, they did actually. Yeah. Bring Chris Paul in here. Okay, cool. Now they don't get along. All right. Get this guy out of here. Uh Chris Paul was thought as a diminishing asset. Goes to Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City gives a and they have to give up picks to make it happen. They get together. That doesn't last. They bring in another coach, and Harden's decided he's out. And they still defend him all the time. So maybe it's leverage or maybe it's actually where Harden wants to go. <laughs> he might just want to go there. Does it make a lot of sense to have Harden after we just saw what we saw again? And we can talk about the highs of the playoffs. The problem is those elimination games, those are too predictable. What's he going to look like in four years? And he's not exactly Jeremy Scott out here, you know, posting the IG workout videos, right? When we see, we, we saw him box a couple years ago with Westbrook. So I actually wonder if he just prefer it. The city, I think, would be fine with it. One of my favorite pieces of content from this entire week was Paul George calling Jalen Green the king of Houston. <laughs> Already? I think you'd have to do just a little bit more than Jalen Green has. And it almost feels like the tide has gone so against Jalen Green, but I don't know. I don't know if he's just a really high-stat player and a bad team and he was let, allowed to do whatever he wanted and maybe there's some bad habits in there. If you watch him against Boston last season, you're like, wait, why is anyone doubting this guy? He can get wherever he wants on the floor, and there's some really good stuff there. And I know, I know Rockets fans are are hoping that it's it's going to be all the good things. But right now it's kind of TBD. And he's certainly not good enough, or the organization, the roster is not set enough where you go, no, no, no. This is good. This is good. 
The Harden thing might just be, hey, let's get some juice back to the franchise. But that's a really expensive tab for some juice for Harden, who four years from now will be making well over $50 million. But all you need is two teams competing for the same guy. And that's where Philly could maybe go to four years and $210 million, But that doesn't seem to make any sense except they're screwed. Um, there's, there's problems with their draft capital. There's problems with trading a first round pick that could trigger some of these aprons. They're signing trade respect. Like none of these things are impossible, but if they get real desperate, the mechanism for them to then figure it out moving forward could be even more complicated. But I do think it's worth bringing up Daryl Morey's history, which I respect this part of his game quite a bit. He gave PJ Tucker a player option at 39 years old, 11 and a half million. People are like, what? Other than Chris Paul, I don't think you're like, what? What did he do? Daryl usually will just say, fuck it. <laughs> I'll give the person the extra year. And, uh, you know, I'll worry about it later. When he signed Omer Ashik to a three-year deal at like 25 plus million, they're like, what is he doing? Like, that doesn't even make any sense. He signed Jeremy Lin, and he was basically doing this with restricted guys because it was, I'm going to make these contracts so weird that you're not going to want to match them. But in the process, people were like, why is he doing this? He signed Jeremy Lin. He signed he signed Ashik. The back end of those deals, no one could quite understand it. But Daryl's whole thing was like, I don't care. I'll just, I'll worry about it later. To get off of Lin, he had to trade a first. But then in the Ashik deal to the Pelicans, he got a first back. He got a Riza. So it all kind of went out in the wash. So this is a much, much higher number that we're talking about. Harden, four years from now, 38-year-old season, what he'd actually look like. But what do you tell him B? What if Harden's like, hey, I'll stay if you do the four years 210 because I'm getting the four years 200 from Houston. I think most GMs would be like, I don't want to do that. Hell, the ones that may sign him to that would say, I don't want to. Daryl could be like, I definitely don't want to do this, but I have to. How do you tell Embiid you're going to waste a year? Embiid, who, by the way, health-wise, has been way better in his career than we probably all thought, at least I thought at the beginning when he didn't play and then played 30 games in his third year. And he has his hiccups every now and then. I actually think he's been way healthier than I'd imagine that he was going to be. He even had a clause in one of the extensions where it was like a specific protection against one of the injuries. So those numbers don't make a ton of sense, but the free agent class isn't good. The cap space, the cap space options, like some of these teams are going to just have to spend some of this stuff. And Houston, what's the point of having $60 million in cap space if you're not going to go for it, even if I wouldn't do it? And imagine, Daryl, imagine if Harden did leave. It's like, man, I tweeted all that nice stuff about you. I met you at the private jet. We got back together, and you're going to do this to me now, but I think it's all on the table. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Okay, so looking at Miami at Boston on FanDuel right now, Miami getting eight points. Uh, the total right now looks at uh, it's 215. So let's try to do something a little more aggressive. Uh, the last one was lining up perfect with the Murray, Aaron Gordon stuff. And then it wasn't so great because then Murray went bananas and then still covered the over, which he was, I think, only 
uh, on, he was, he wasn't even close to the pace. So, all right. Sorry about that one. Um, one thing I noticed with what the Celtics did at the start of one of the games, they decided to try to go Marcus Smart post early at the start of game three. So if you looked at first back basket odds for the Celtics uh, and Heat combined here, Tatum's the favorite plus 350, so there's still value there. But I wonder if they could try to get Jalen Brown going. So yeah, that's it. Plus 500, Jalen Brown to score the first basket of the game because he hasn't been going as good. And I'm not talking about Jalen necessarily from what I've seen there, but that they tried to go smart post. And then I think they had Jalen post at the start of three. Jalen has struggled. Will they run something for Jalen first play of the game? Um, So there we go. Jalen Brown plus 500 first basket. FanDuel has tons of promotions every day on a safe and secure app. And when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash Ryan. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 and older in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued with non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com forward slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-800-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT, Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit mahelpline.org forward slash problem gambling in Massachusetts. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY to 467-389 in New York, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off. I love every tip-off. I love every one of them. And people ask me, hey, are you tipping off tonight? Because they know that's code for are the games on? And I'll say, yeah, come on over. Bring your kids. I don't care about the audio feed. You can walk in front of the television because this time of year, the second half of the NBA, it's about family. And that's one of my favorite things about my life. Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. CJ McCollum joins us now in the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, excited to talk about a bunch of different things with you. Let's just start with the West. The Nuggets are head of the finals. Um, mm-hmm. We knew they were good, but they have been special during the playoffs. Uh, is there anything about this that's remotely surprising to you at all? No, I don't think it's. I don't think it's surprising. Mainly because of how consistent they've been throughout the year. You look at a lot of different teams, and you know the ebbs and flows of a season where you have great wins, terrible losses. Outside of that point in which Malone had to challenge the team publicly, because I think they just started taking regular season games for granted where they got blown out of home a couple of times. They were the number one seed outside of us being number one seed in, in December, January, they were the number one seed the entire season. Um, they were relatively healthy the entire season. Joker basically played every game until the end of the season where he kind of rested. He had an injury, but it was more strategic rest to make sure he was ready for the playoffs. Jamal played majority of the season. The only people that were in and out of the lineup were Porter Jr., right? Like he was in and out of the lineup throughout the year, but that's a plug and play 
um, because of how they play, right? Like Bruce Brown can come in and run some point. He can come in and score a little bit. Jeff Green's a Swiss Army knife. Um, it allowed for Christian Braun, to, uh, Braun or Brown, however you say it, it allowed for him to develop. And I think strategically speaking, that roster was built for um, for the playoffs because you got home court advantage where you're basically the best NBA team at home. You got a guy who's unstoppable, who is the gravity. Everybody kind of plays through him. And then you got a guard who's, you know, phenomenal off the dribble. He's built for the playoffs because he can play in half court. He can play in transition. He's got a mid post game, right? Which is what you need in the, in, in the playoffs. You got to be able to shoot a midi and he can shoot the three with regularity off the bounce and catch and shoot. So the team was built. You insert KCP, right? A championship DNA, tall three and D wing. And you look at the roster and you say like, I'm not surprised. I think I'm more surprised that people didn't talk about them more. I had the Suns beating them, right? Right. And I'm just like the rest of the, the media where you look at the roster and you think to yourself, that's a really good team. But KD, Book, CP, AN, and then CP goes out, right? And then it kind of changes things. And then they just outplay him down the stretch to where I think they didn't get enough credit throughout the season. And now people are pretending to be surprised when in reality you should have seen this from the beginning of the, beginning of the season. Because the Phoenix series ended with such domination you're right it was almost like ah they weren't any good and i'm like you still like what booker and durant may have been doing it all on their own and it looked really hard to me to see what those guys it was kind of like possession by possession like i just have to create something and figure something out and that's like exhausting beyond just playing the normal 40 something minutes everything felt hard for those dudes and if they're still putting up the numbers i know durant wasn't as efficient as you'd expect but i think yeah, I think through that, it's that it was almost this dismissive series win when in reality, I think a lot of other teams still would have just ended up losing to Phoenix because of those two guys. Yeah, their depth, their ability to close games, right? If you look at how that series started, they punched them in the mouth in game one, right? Just punched them in the mouth. Phoenix kind of responded. They go up too well, and then everybody's thinking like, what's going to happen next? And then Phoenix comes back and shows like, hey, we're here. Book plays out of his mind, basically shoots 65%. It took him playing the best basketball he can possibly play for them to win, right? Like, literally, like, I don't... Like anybody. (laughs) Right. It doesn't get better than that. Like, I don't know what the next level is because that's a level that, like, it's it's hard to consistently attain 60-something percent shooting on high-degree difficulty pull-ups. Like, that, that... It took that for them to win two games, basically. And then they went... And Denver did what they do, went on a run, defended well, played through the Joker. And that was all she wrote. But I think looking at that series, you got to give Book and Katie a little bit more credit because the Lakers couldn't get one game. <laughs> like, they didn't get one game. And it was three three one-possession games that they lost, right? In the most recent game, Braun, he has the one, one-legged step back and gets the possession where um, he passes. And then he has a possession where he drives and um, kind of gets blocked, maybe gets fouled. Who knows? And then he had another possession game one. I think he misses a three when they were down 21 points. They come back and then game three, they could have won. But outside of that, it was just Denver just closing them out, getting up, riding the Joker, role players playing well. And I just think Mike Malone, I think the Denver Nuggets organization in general, they deserve to be credited for not breaking up the team, right? Keeping their core group of guys together, plugging and playing some guys who would help keeping their staff together. And I think, it's a copycat league now. So you see Miami, you see Denver probably going to make it to the finals, right? Boston still has a chance, right? But slim chance though, of winning four straight games. The mold is now maybe you can keep a roster together or a core together. You don't have to keep firing your coach. You don't have to keep, 
you know, swinging the fences at a superstar or two superstars, whatever the case may be. And you can build authentically through the draft and with player development and you can get a couple free ages. But who wins this championship will determine what our league looks like for the next few years. Okay, I had a different question plan. But since you said that, what does that mean? I think that means historically, whenever something happens, right, the Warriors, for instance, the Warriors kind of changed the way the game is played, obviously with the three-point shooting, but Draymond being a smaller guy that can play to five, but can pass, but can dribble, can anchor the defense. Then teams got away from playing two natural bigs. Like I got drafted in 13. We started um, Robin Lopez and LaMarcus Aldridge, two-footers. Obviously, LA can shoot or whatever, so that changes things, but he operated in the left block. We had Chris Kamen coming off the bench. Like we were a post-oriented team, the rest of the league. When I got into the league, you know, the Spurs win that. I think they won the championship that year with Tim Duncan. And then you look at what happened once the Warriors started winning. It changed the way the game was played. Now you're playing a small ball four that can shoot, right? Not two post players. Fast forward, fast forward. You get the superstar era where teams are like, well, we got to have two or three superstars to win a championship. So then teams start rearranging their roster and going for that, putting packages together, giving up picks. You look at... Teams are throwing picks at everything, right? Like, you know, the Anthony Davis trade, the Drew Holiday trade, that's just two trades with it. that involved the Pelicans. But you look at each team, Russell Westbrook ends up going to the Thunder. Like, there was a lot of situations where guys were going to certain teams because teams were like, we got to get superstars. Now you look at the way Miami built it, right? They draft well. They get a lot of undrafted players, uh, which sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you develop, but they have a culture. They trade for Jimmy Butler, Draft Tyler Hero, draft Bam, develop, right? Develop players that were within the uh, organization, but they didn't go out and say, okay, we got to get a superstar. They'll get Kyle Lowry, right? Solid point guard, championship DNA, plays again the right way, um, can, can close games, comfortable coming off the bench. It's just a professional. And you build that around veterans. You keep UD, and everybody's like, why are they keeping UD? And it's like, well, because UD is the locker room guy who's going to keep everything together. He's the leader. He's going to tell Tyler Hero when he needs to do something. He's going to tell Jimmy Butler when he needs to do something. And they're going to respect it. And a lot of teams need that. A lot of teams need nurturing. They need a veteran that may not play, but is going to make sure that the young players do doing what they're supposed to do. And you do need star players, but you need quality role players to win a championship. I, I love the point. I'm just, I'm not sure about what it'll mean. Because like when I run through it and go, Right. Oh, the Clippers. Okay. Well, that star building didn't work. All right. The guys got hurt. Brooklyn tried to do the big three thing that we were so accustomed to with Miami, with Golden State, and then with Cleveland again. And it's like, yeah, but maybe they just had the wrong guys for it. And my default is always, I don't think you're going to have teams go, oh, that guy's really good. Well, we don't want him because the star chasing thing hasn't worked recently in some of the other stops. And when I look at Denver specifically, as right you are about all the other pieces, you have this Steph Curry-like centerpiece, not similarities in playing style with Joker and Curry, but the selflessness that the face of the franchise doesn't care about the wrong things. And also his playing style is to make sure everyone around him is involved and better, which is even different than what Steph is. And the Miami thing, to me, is, is such an aberration if they pull this off uh, that I don't know that anybody would even follow that model. Like I think Joker for Denver, all the other pieces seem like the right pieces and the path seems like the right way to construct a roster. But it's only because the one guy is so willing to share as a player. I agree with that. 
But the key to all of this is that if you look at the rosters across the NBA, generally speaking, every team ends up getting a star caliber player through the draft at some point. Like you can go down the rosters from Eastern Conference to West. Look at New Orleans, right? You can look at us. I'll use us as an example. You draft Zion. You trade for Brandon Ingram. Draft Trey Murphy. You draft Dyson Daniels. Jose Alvarado, undrafted. Nazar Marshall, undrafted. Herb Jones, drafted. So, like, if you draft well, there's a chance you could find, not necessarily a joker because that's a once in a lifetime, but you can find a guy that has star potential. Right, your right? guy. Right. Yeah, your guy. Sure. And then you just hope, like you said, Joker's a once in a lifetime. Like you're not going to find many star players who, first of all, are as good as him, impact the game the way he does, doesn't care about scoring, selfless, knows when to lead. Like this is a team where they drafted Joker and Nurk. Shout out to my boy Nurk. Nurk was my teammate. Like, yeah. Joker got drafted after Nurk. They made a decision. They could have kept both of them. They decided, now nah, we can't keep both of them. We need to get off one of these guys. And they rolled the dice choosing him, not knowing it was going to turn out the way that it did. But I say all this to say, you're right. This is something that you can't necessarily mimic or copy, but you can look at the fact that you do need to keep a core, whatever the core is. Like you need to keep a certain amount of players together to see what it's going to be because continuity and consistency matters. And if you look at the Lakers, right, I'm using them as, as an example because after the playoffs, uh, Malik Beasley said, if we can keep our roster similar and go through a full training camp together, I like our chances next year. The problem was they made a trade at midseason, beyond midseason, because the deadline's not at the halfway point. It worked. They got together. They went on a run. They played well together, but there were still areas they could improve on because of the chemistry that they didn't get. To, they didn't get a full season together. So if you can get multiple years with one coach and call it three or four, three starters and two rotation players, you build the chemistry to where, like, if you're healthy, I think you have a better chance because of the ability to play together. Like when I was in Portland, our core was together for a while. Then it just became Dame and I being like the last pieces, right, of the court with Nurk. But we got to play together, so that makes up for some of the talent deficiencies that you may see on a roster because you like each other, you understand each other, you know the play calls, you know how to adjust. There's a way in which you can hold your, your teammates accountable. And I think it's, look at Miami, right? Although that's the that's the extreme case of culture, chemistry. Spoh's been there 15 years. Jimmy's a great leader, um, a, a unique leader, right? Because he's not for everybody, as we've seen. But Struess has been there. Duncan Robinson has been there. Bam has been there for more than two years, more than three years. If you go back to the bubble, they were together. Basically the same team, right, in 2020. More than two years without firing a coach and drastic changes to the starting lineup. I'm not saying that it's easy to do because sometimes change is necessary, but in order to win, you got to keep a few of the guys together and see what happens before you build around it. We just had Larry Nance Jr. on, and I would tell the audience this. You put in the requests, and they they fall the way they fall. So this is... Uh, Pelicans heavy two weeks in a row, but I'm cool <laughs> with that because when you were the one seed early on and there was a debate about like who has the deepest roster, I was like, you know, I actually think it's New Orleans. Now that could be my own projection for like what I think Herb's going to be, how much I like Dyson because I liked him so much before the draft and then Trey having way more to his game than just sit in the corner. Like when you really mm -hmm. dig into what he can do given the opportunities. But as you know, like you know, there's some, some guys that are really talented. You're just not going to get the ball enough knowing if Brandon's healthy, you're out there and Zion's healthy. Like you're just not going to have many times to create off the dribble. Having said all of these things, even with uh, Valanciunas, like there's a lot of guys like one through nine, one through 10. Um, even 
even Najee too. Like, you know, I, I feel like I'm always leaving somebody out when I make sure I name everybody on the Pelicans that's really good. Uh, what What is this team? Like, what do you think this team can actually be knowing that there's always the big question mark with Zion? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. We're one of the deeper teams in the NBA when we're healthy, right? And I think that's a question mark for a lot of teams. The Denver Nuggets, if they're, if hypothetically two of their three best players get hurt and play 11 games together, are they in the finals right now? Yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, they were six seed last year, so. Injuries, right. injuries and the timing of the injuries can determine your success. And I think that's what is important to note. And I think we have a good roster. We have a strong roster. Obviously, there's areas we can all improve at individually. And there's areas that our front office will improve at in terms of tinkering and figuring out what we need and what pieces can be plugged in to make us better. But I'll say always to say, for us to be successful, we need at least two of our three highest paid players, three best players to play 60 plus games, right? At least two out of three. Like if you look at every team from a success standpoint, two of your three have to play. If you have a big three or a big four, whatever it is, they have to play a lot of minutes because it allows everybody else to get comfortable in their roles and to understand their roles. When roles change throughout the season and you get healthy again, it makes things a little difficult because I'll use our team for instance. For, for example, Trey Murphy went from coming off the bench, like you said before, standing in the corner to being utilized more, to having to start, to playing a lot of games where it was no BI, no Zion, right? And then one of them comes back and that kind of adjusts the role. And then we trade for Josh Richardson at the deadline. I think people forget this. Josh started some games when he was traded, trade him off the bench. Then they switch. So like that was us trying to figure things out, our organization, our staff trying to figure things out. And that was a lot of changes going on. Jose gets hurt. Dyson gets hurt. No one knows this. Dyson missed like 19 or 20 games with an ankle sprain. And he was sixth, seventh, eighth, eighth man at one point. Then Jose goes down and he doesn't play like down the stretch of the entire season. And he was sixth or seventh man. And then Nazi goes from eighth man to starting. He has a stretch where he starts six games and averages 18, four and, and five. And nobody's talking about it. And then he has to go back to playing nine minutes a night. So it's like people don't understand what that does. And part of it and what's important for us to realize is that we're pros and we have a job to do. And that's important that you have good locker room to tell people like, hey, you have to stay ready. We got a guy in in Hernan Gomez who's a quality big who doesn't play for 30 games in a row. And then he starts and gives you 12 and 14 off the bench. Like, what does that do to your your psyche when you know you're capable of playing? But then you got JV who's JV, right? A walking double-double in 22 minutes. So, like, I agree with you in terms of depth, and I think our team can be really good. But as I said before, availability matters. We have to be healthy in order for our depth to properly be used because otherwise guys are are going to be expected to do more, which is great for development. But there comes a point in time where you run out of steam. Like, the workload becomes too much because you're supposed to do one thing. You're being asked to do these things, and your body or mind may not be ready for it. Like, there's a reason why certain guys are getting paid what they're getting paid, right? Because you expect X, Y, Z from them and you expect your role players, for example, like the Denver Nuggets, to be able to win you a game in the playoffs, right? Like a Bruce Brown or a Contavious Caldwell Pub where they were able to play a certain type of role all season. They got comfortable. They're able to play above that role at times, but they weren't asked to do it for 65 games. No, but to see what those guys are doing outside of the Jokic-Murray stuff at its peak, which is still why they're in the finals, but those guys were incredible around it. All right, I want to get back to your roster. One last thing here. Uh, You've been around a while now. Hell of a career. A lot of awesome stuff that you've done with the Players Association. So I always look at you as somebody I would imagine as a leader on a team. Does Zion listen to you? (laughs) I think that he does. 
I think that he does. That's a really good question. I think from a respect standpoint, he respects my approach. He respects my resume, although it's just considered it's just consistent of winning, right? Like not an all-star, not any of those things I haven't been, but historically I've won. Historically, I'm respected across the league. I played a game the right way. And I think one of the things he respects about me most is that I'm honest, I'm blunt, and I've never said anything to the public that I haven't said behind closed doors to him directly. And the things that I say to him directly are not sugarcoated the way that I was sugarcoated to the media or to you in the conversation. So I think he respects that and my approach to basketball in terms of every day. He knows what time I'm going to be there. He knows what time I'm going to leave. He knows I'm watching film. He knows what I'm eating. He knows the time I'm going to sleep. They know that I take this game seriously. And by they, I mean not just Z, but BI, the rest of the staff, and it's not like I have to preach to them, like, this is how you be a professional. You get to watch me do it every day. So it's not like I'm asking anything that's that I'm not capable of or not consistently doing. And I think from that standpoint, absolutely, I think he respects me. And I think the difference is I've seen changes in him and his approach and how he's doing things uh, behind the scenes, obviously. Uh, people don't get to see his lockers to the left of mine. Like, I see him very often. He sits right beside me to the left of me on the bus. He sits to the right of me next to Garrett Temple on the plane. Like, we're very close and we very much so communicate often more than the public eye would would truly understand. So I, I would say if you asked him, he would say absolutely. Right. That was that was a very open ended way to ask you that. And I, I appreciate the answer and I'm not going to like press because there's certain things you're just not. It doesn't make any sense for you to tell me. I'll make a statement then. I just hope that we're not somewhere because I love his game. Everybody seems to really like him. Yeah. I mean, I, I, he hasn't even figured it out yet, and he's insanely dominant. You know what I mean? Like some of the right. stuff he does, and I, and then you look at the numbers, you'd be like, if this guy actually like takes it to that next level of like understanding, uh, which happens with the great ones. I just hope we're not here five years from now going, man, I, I wish he had just had a different approach when he was younger. I don't know if that seems fair or unfair. It's projecting a bit, but it's more because I'm such a fan of him, and I'm just worried about where it's going. I've had serious conversations with him on multiple occasions, not just me, Larry. And, and I said this to him. I've told him, and I'm going to say it to you. You can be as good as you want to be, and that's not for everybody, right? Like, there's a level in which I can, I can be the best version of CJ, and it's to here. The level of the best version of Z is a level that everybody can't get to, right? Like, and I use the analogy of planets and stars all the time. There's stars in this league and there's planets. And you know the difference between a star and a planet, right? Like Joker, planet, Steph Curry, planet. Like things revolve around him. You could almost say that these guys are the sun, right? Like they're different than a star. Like stars are great and they're important and they move teams. But like there's only so many planets that we know of in our solar system. And I said, you are a planet. So you have to move like a planet. You got to think like a planet. You got to eat like a planet. You got to exercise like a planet. You got to sleep like a planet. Like your ceiling is unlike anything the game has ever seen, but it's up to you to take full advantage of whatever that is. Like, and I can't want it for you. Mom can't want it for you. Dad can't want it for you. The staff can't want it for you. You got to want it for you. So it's up to you to decide what that looks like. And you are walking 26, seven and seven or seven and five or whatever it is at 60%. But what's the next level? Like, because there is another level that you can reach and we've all seen it and we've seen it in spurts in the 29 games he played last season. So I think it's, it's not a matter of how good he'll be because we don't know. 
we really, if he plays 65 games in a year, like what are the numbers? Like, I don't know. Like, I can't tell you the honest answer because when he gets into a rhythm, there's no stopping him. And it seems like he's always in a rhythm. He just hasn't gotten the chance to put together 65 or 70 games consecutively, right? It's always in spurts. So I say all this to say, I've had real conversations where it's not even a lecture. It's more like, you got to figure out what you want to do with this game because this game will go wherever you take it. Like, and that's not for everybody. Like everybody doesn't have a chance for that. Everybody doesn't have a chance to be top 75. Like, and I played with two, I played with Melo and I played with, with Dame and I played with Dame before he was at the peak of his powers, right? Like before he was tapping his wrist, like I was in the gym at 6am with him. So I know what it looks like. So I'm not like, I'm not a preacher. I just tell him the facts that I know. And I say like, look, I've seen what success looks like. And you don't have to do this version of success. It doesn't have to be Dane. You don't have to be mellow. You don't have to do the things that they did, but there should be some similarities in your approach. Can I ask you a Dame question? This is weird because you're so good at this and then you've done your own media stuff, but then you're an active player and he's a friend where I'll just ask it like, what do you, what do you think happens here? In my heart of hearts, <laughs> this is it. And the, this is me just making a, a, a judgment from the sideline. It's not like Dame told me this. I think based on whatever they're able to do at, at this upcoming trade, whether that's packaging three and whoever for whoever, if they're not able to accomplish something that looks like they're heading in the direction of winning, then I think, and this might not even be his decision, the organization may decide, like, you know what, we can get a quality haul for him. And they move him collectively, like a decision that's made. I think unless they can move, and this is what I've seen on the record, right? Like, unless they're moving towards the direction of competing for a championship, and who knows what competing for a championship looks like? Was that the eight seed? Is that the seven seed? Like, what is that? Like, that's a very broad statement. But we all know what a championship quality roster looks like, right? Like when you look at it, you can say, hmm, they got a chance. If they don't look like they have a chance, I think they decide whether it's time to go young with draft picks and move him or it's play for the seven, six, seven, eight seed and hope we miss the play in. So if I had to guess, I would say it depends on the market. I think the market will dictate the decision. I don't think it'll be like a Dame asking out type of thing or Portland saying like we want to move Dame because obviously he wants to stay and they want him there. If they're not able to get what they think they can get for three and whatever, I think they decide to go young. Just to like a pure observation of what is the like, what are you what are you doing? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Is it make the playoffs? Are you cool with just making the playoffs and being around 500? Or would you rather be a little under 500 or, you know, like OKC and maybe you make you get in a playing game, maybe you don't, but you have a Chester drawer full of assets and, and picks so if, if i had to roll the dice i would say the market will dictate whether or not dame leaves yeah that makes sense like see how the draft lands who's going to be there you already know all this stuff ahead of time what potential trades are there and if you say to like dame, does scoot like, henderson go to like does somebody trade up like and go get scoot henderson at two to where he's not available from portland at three and then that changes what they can move like this is a like this could be done draft day right like somebody could say you know what we want Scoot Henderson. And they put a package together to go get the number two pick because you know who's going one. And Portland has three, right? Charlotte's two. The Charlotte trade back. And somebody says, we want Scoot Henderson. They, they, they let them move up to get him. And then like, there's a lot that could happen where 
things could really shift. Or does Portland just say, you know what, we want Scoot Henderson? Yeah, the Scoot one might be tough just because you're already, and I like Scoot a lot. I spent a lot of time talking. Have you watched him much? I watched him. I actually was in New York in the summer working out before he played that year with the G League Ignite. And so I watched him work out. when he was 17. And I was like, who is that? <laughs> Strong. And he was working with, um, was it Kyrie's uncle who used to play in the league with crazy finishes, Jersey. OG played in the league, Strickland, Rod Strickland. Oh, Rod Strickland. Oh, his, yeah. His, Kyrie's his godfather, people. right? Yeah. He was working with Rod, and Rod was telling me about him. I got Rod's number, and I was like, this kid got the goods. He was like, yeah, he's going to be a top five pick. And I said, I see. Like, I watched him work out, strong handles. Obviously, the jump shot is like, I guess he's continuing to develop it based on percentages, whatever. But like, he was working. And, you know, I work out early. Like, I'm his, I've been getting up, I've been working out at 6 a.m. very often throughout the summer since I was 14. So I'm getting into the gym early in New York, which is, you know, people, everybody's late because of traffic. I get to the gym at like 6.30 and I'm, I'm finishing up like call it 7.30 and he's working out 7, 7.30 every day. And I was like, he's going to be really good. Yeah, I think he's nice. I think he's, I was watching him again this week and there's just one of my, I, I don't want to repeat it to the audience because I already talked about him for five minutes today and I'll do it again before the draft. But there's just, Especially with guards, guys that have the ball in their hands. Like, I want to see, because we don't have the traditional point guards anymore. But, like, one of the right. great things about you coming out was, like, I think, you know, combo guard used to be a dirty word. Like, if you were a combo mm-hmm. guard coming out probably 15 years ago, like, Brown maybe even body. you, yeah, maybe even you a little bit there, too. Now it's, like, a necessity. But then I think it's veered so far away from, like, what combo actually meant is that there were still some inherent point guard thoughts. <laughs> like, hey, maybe... I get this guy involved or maybe our possessions have sucked three straight possessions and I need to force the, uh, the defense to make like a slightly different decision. Even if the screen, it doesn't work out. We don't end up with an advantage. Like I just need to do right. something a little different. I think that part of the game has been gone for a while. I think you're actually really good at it. And when I see it with a young player, you know, I'm not, ta- I'm not calling Scoo Henderson, Jason Kidd here, but there was a couple times through the G league stuff this year where I went, Oh wait, like, dude, this kid's this young and he thought about that already. And that's the that's the coolest part beyond how strong the juice. I mean, he's dunking on guys in traffic and all the other stuff that goes right. with it. Um, he's, a, he's a monster. Yeah. A monster. No, I'm a fan. Let me uh let me ask you this then as we finish up. Because you're the Players Association president, uh what what is the biggest point of contention between because we always hear about the owners versus owners stuff. What do the players, what's the issue the players argue about the most? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, I think the hard part was information flow, right? Like partial bits of information coming out saying we've agreed to things before it was actually agreed to in principle. And then that's when you get backlash or like players like freaking out, like, what did we agree to? And it's like, yo, like, (laughs) even when we verbally agree to something, because Woz and Shams said it, like, shout out to Woz and Shams, right? But, like, they're piecing together what they're hearing. Full disclosure, the CBA is still being written out as we speak right now. It's being written out. We verbally agreed to things, and it's being written out. It has to be transcribed, and lawyers go back and forth. So it's like when something comes out a month and a half ago, and then you get, you know, the Draymond and whatever, like, guys are tweeting. I'm like, look, man, respectfully, like, I get it, right? Like, you have a right to your own opinion. Let me give you all the information first and then be mad or not be mad. Like, cool, I can live with that. But like, don't read three sentences about a 
800 page CBA and think that like, that's it. Like, that's all we did. Like we didn't do nothing else. So I think that was the hard part is the, the flow of information where think about it. Like if you're, if you're a team who's in the salary cap and all you read is that there's a new apron where you'll be taxed and penalized. And you think like, they, you know, all, all CJ agreed to was stuff against teams in the salary cap. Oh, by the way, I play on a team who's going to be very close to the salary cap or over the salary. The cap. tax. Yeah. Right. No, that's so funny. Like, so, yeah, you can't win. God, that's so, like, so funny. So it's like, oh, did CJ part. push this through because he knows? I hate uh, the words. Like, they look at yeah. me like, oh, you lost the words. You hate them. It's like, no, well, if you think about this for a second, look at our roster. Zion, Brandon Ingram, me, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones. Right. You're going to be you're gonna be paying a hefty bill there. That Valentine depth is going to be the expenses. Yeah, depth absolutely. Is, so you think I'm putting it, you think I'm just sh- shooting shots at everybody else not thinking about like I'm trying to do what's best for the game. Oh, by the way, these aren't all my ideas. By the way, these governors have their own ideas of what they'd like to see happening. And oh, by the way, teams that have spent a lot of money aren't necessarily always happy about spending a lot of money. Oh, by the way, there's 30 teams who have to agree to this. Like. There's a lot, there's a lot of intricate things that the casual fan doesn't understand, but also our players don't understand, and rightfully so, because they're not in the meeting. Not necessarily because they want to be in the meeting, right? Because it's open invitation. So it's criticized, critique, rightfully so, because you should. And I'm in a position where I should be criticized, critiqued on the court and off the court. But if you want to be be helpful, you are allowed to participate and give ideas and come up with things. And I would love to utilize it. Honestly, like I, this isn't like a, oh, whatever I say goes type of situation. This is a collective bargaining agreement where it has to be mutually beneficial for both parties. If it was a CJ agreement, things would be much different. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I would start it. If I'm you addressing it going, all right, folks, uh, just so you know, every one of you will have multiple things in here that you don't like. Um, But instead of never showing up to any meetings and never being on any of the calls and waiting until you see a small version of it and then deciding to tweet that we did a bad deal for you, you know, like I think right. there's another way to do it. All right. I have two more on that and then we'll talk about the winery. Uh, why was there a cap smoothing this time anticipating the TV revenue spike as opposed to not smoothing it out previously? Oh, I can't speak on previously because I was not president. You were in the league, right? What I was in the league. So I don't have the full information um, in terms of I got drafted in 13. I think I reaped the benefits. This is a situation in which I was in the free agent when there was a boom, 16, right? Alan Crabb, myself. Alan Crabb. The list goes on. Shout out to my guy AC. Shout out to my guy AC. You know, I was in this. I just happened to be lucky and be a part of the spike. And I think one of the things we talked about as a person who benefited from this was it's not fair for our collective group to not benefit from spikes and cap. If you so happen to not be a free agent that year, it's not fair. You should be able to benefit from the fruits of our collective labor. And this is a situation in which we all talked about it. We, We talked about it with the players agents, the league, teams, we all agreed it's not fair for only a, a select few players to benefit from the spike. So it's it's best to smooth it out so that everybody can take part in the success of the league slowly. It's a perfect example of, and this happens all the time, but it's like, hey, if this spike happens in 16, this is what's going to happen. I don't know that 
I personally, from conversations I've had, I don't think Michelle Roberts did a great job of explaining to everybody exactly what was supposed to happen. Maybe the players didn't do a good job investigating what it meant because the smoothing would have meant more money for everybody. Then John Wall actually said something about Reggie Jackson's contract. And I was like, you know what? I agree with John Wall here, despite the fact no one wanted to hear John Wall say it because he had made so much money already. And it's like, no, no, it's not who's, it's the point. The fundamental point is this, is that Mm -hmm. there shouldn't be this windfall for this class, which then, you know, I remember Robert saying like, no, you don't get it. It's, it's all going to work out. Right. (laughs) And it's not what, that's not the, it's all going to work out. Like, what are we getting ice cream in the back? Like, so for it then to have to happen for then this time through the players go, oh yeah. When all those guys cashed in that Mm -hmm. one year when there was all this cap space. And if your, your contract was up that year, like that was a significant spike. So it, everyone knew what it would look like, but it actually had to happen to have real evidence for then the players to go. I don't want that to happen again because it's about 450, 500 members, not that free agent class of that summer. Yeah. It's, it's for the betterment of the group, right? For the, for the larger group, which means 450 players are never going to all agree on any topic. And they shouldn't because we're all not like-minded individuals. We all have diverse opinions and thoughts based on our upbringing and based on our experiences. But this was a no-brainer. Like once you go through it, and sometimes you have to fail or go through a trial where you learn the exact results of something. And once we went through that, and as luckily I was a person that benefited, but still recognizing that it wasn't fair, right? Like I just got lucky. Like it just happened to talk about a windfall. Like I just happened to be a free agent. We looked at it and we said, Although some people some people benefited from it, it's not fair if the majority aren't able to get a fair shot at this. And that was something that we talked about right on. And I can speak to it. Like I was like, look, it wasn't fair. I'm a guy who would have got paid anyway, but it wasn't fair that it happened the way that it happened. Right. And that was always the point. You could see it coming. And I'm sure if the players actually knew it, and then on top of that, Golden State ending up with the ramp. I think if people understood, but it had to happen to be understood, which I think happens all the time. And it's not a specific thing to the members of your union. Okay. Last one on that. I know that just from a job number standpoint, the union's probably not in favor of getting rid of the one and done rule. And there felt like there was all this momentum that silver was going to get this passed where it wasn't going to happen. I feel like when I talked to teams years ago, they were they didn't really care. And now it feels like the momentum's kind of going the other way where it's like, you know, we actually don't mind the one and done thing. Uh, we still have the one and done. So right. the easy answer is we don't want to eliminate 50 jobs, 50 signed players' jobs to accommodate a double draft class. But where is the league with that as far as the player side? Yeah, I think I'll speak from my side first, right? When in, in my conversations, I said two things. I said, I've always been in favor of players going out of high school and being able to become pros early before they were able to be compensated early. I think I thought it was unfair that majority of our athletes didn't have a chance to make money and were forced to go to school. Um, because oftentimes the cream of the crop is ready, right? There's, a, there's, you know, call it five to eight guys a year that are ready to go to high school and don't really need that year. The rest of the guys probably should go to college or whatever the case may be. And I thought it was unfair that they weren't able to be compensated. You fast forward to the way the league is now and the way high school collegiate sports are, guys are making six figures. Some are making seven figures. So the financial aspect of being able to take care of your family is already happening. And I think I was more in favor of it because of the financial freedom that being a professional athlete allows you to have. Now with NIL, I, I said it publicly. I said, 
I don't feel like it's it has to happen now because we got 16-year-olds. Chris Paul can speak to his AAU team. Get two 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds making six, seven figures. 16, 17. So I think there's a more of an educational component that needs to happen now that NIL is in place for high schoolers and collegiate athletes who are making six figures and some are making close to seven figures to where we should focus more on development education. And one of the other issues that I think are is occurring with our league now is that it's getting so young, which is great, but it's also not great because we need veterans. We need the right locker room presence. We need the right exposures to be around them because you have to learn how to be a responsible adult. It doesn't just happen overnight. And generally speaking, we're first-generation collegiate students for a lot, of, a lot of cases in our households, and we're first-generation millionaires, and no one teaches you how to handle money properly. I went to a prestigious institution in Lehigh University. I stayed four years. That's I good. I, I mean, it's it's good, but... It- not, not, you know, it's, it's, it's college. I'm just I kidding. I'm just I, messing with you. I'm sorry, CJ. But I, 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 I sense the joke, but I, I say always to say, I did all these things and still didn't know much at all about how to be a professional. I didn't know the financial implications of how to yeah. hire people, how to conduct proper background checks. I still had to learn things that school didn't teach me. So think about the person that doesn't go to school at all. What are they learning? You're learning based on what the people around you are teaching you. And if you don't have the right people around you, what are you ever learning? So I think I say all this to say that I was indifferent about one and done versus high school now because you're getting paid with six months of school and then you you get paid more. Some in some cases, guys are making less coming to the NBA than they are NIL. So it's like if you pick 27, if you pick 22 to the to the rest of the draft, and you're like elite, you're probably making what you would make. In the league. So I think that's what kind of changed my perspective. And then the quality of play is something that the NBA is big on. They want to improve the quality of play. Is it going to improve our quality of play if you let in 17, 18 year olds? Like an honest question. No, no, I, I, it's not. Um, and the problem is you're going to be hanging on a ro- roster spot even longer because you're probably going to have, I mean, you'll have the guy in house, but just physically too with, with some of it. Uh, but then the other argument that I've heard from teams would be like, hey, this is professional basketball and the same stuff happens in Europe in these academies. So like, why are, why are we not doing, why not just get them in-house and we'll develop them the way we need to develop them instead of having them go to some college coach who doesn't know what he's doing half the time, which again is just sort of a rough estimate, which isn't even accurate. But you get the point. The premise of it right. is that some teams feel like, hey, let's get him in. But then other teams are like, you know, let's see him play somewhere else for a year so we can weed out some of the people we may have made a mistake on. Uh, the Lehigh joke is for a friend of mine who only he will laugh about it. So maybe I shouldn't have done that for the entire university, but the money part's right. Like, I don't care who you are. I went to a good school. I I didn't make money for a very long time, but once I did, like I started thinking about like, wait, I'm supposed to give access to these accounts to like different financial people. And you like, didn't I see a documentary on this? (laughs) Right. Like, no, it's like, it's it's like limited power of attorney. What does that mean? (laughs) Like that means you can pay my taxes. Like, (laughs) can you pay bills? Like, how is this working? But I say all this to say, we're, we're in a spot where we need to focus on the right thing. We need to focus on education. We need to focus on mental health. We need to focus on development and making sure whether you go to school or not, you have the basic resources that you need to be successful because whether you're one and done or not, life changes once you become a professional in any level of any sport or not sport. Like working your nine to five as a professional at college is different than when you intern. Like it's different. So I think we're, regardless of what we decide to do down the road and if, if more than... 15 governors in favor of it, it could happen. But they have to be able to vote on their behalf and really want this to happen. And we have to get majority of our player reps to, to vote on behalf of it occurring. But 
it didn't seem like a pressing issue. For, no, from, it didn't. From it either didn't. side. I thought it was. And then you kind of started hearing more about it and was like, ah, there's other stuff. Um, and if I'm the players too, like it's kind of one of those funny things. It's like, well, who's pushing for this? Is ownership, is the NBA? Because whoever's pushing for it, then the other side is just going to ask for something that benefits them when it's like, wait, let's not position ourselves. This is something we have to have because you know what that ends up meaning. It's like, oh, so that means we got this thing, but then we lost money. Like what, right. who are the 450 guys are going to give up a cut to get guys in the league that aren't even in the league yet? So uh, it's an interesting one. And I thought I had momentum and then it didn't happen. Last thing before we let you go, because I kept you longer than I said I would. So I apologize for that. But McCollum Heritage, uh, 91, you get a Rose out. Uh, the simple question for this is just, you've got, you've got the funds, you've got the interest, you you always feel like, okay, what is this other thing that I could do that'd be passionate the outside of basketball? Mm -hmm. Why wine? My wife actually introduced me to wine and I'll flash it here. Uh, on our way out of college. And I think I, I've just, I've just always gravitated towards it. Um, since she introduced me to it. And I think the things that historically have brought me to it are the peace I get when I'm out of bed, right? The peace and tranquility service usually doesn't work. Um, Wine historically has been associated with celebrations. So your birthdays, your anniversaries, um, things of that nature. And where I come from, wine isn't popular, right? People drink other things, uh, maybe stronger drinks or beer, whatever the case may be. And I think for me as a, as a Black man growing up in America, I want us to be more comfortable around these types of things and in these spaces. And I think for us as a society, a lot of us are uncomfortable ordering wine at a restaurant, like it feels pretentious. It feels like a lot when the psalm comes up and it's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And I want us to become more comfortable with it as a society. And I think for me, it's about learning, it's about the education, it's about um, continuing to find things that bring me joy and bring me peace. And I think historically when I've been at vineyards and um, in tasting rooms, and even when I'm on our property in Oregon, it just I just feel at peace and at ease because I live a hectic, hectic, chaotic lifestyle. It's always on the go, I'm always flying. So. To be able to kind of sit back and enjoy things in my family is just something I, I uh, take pride in. And this was a way in which I could learn about something um, and provide my family and people that come from places like me an opportunity to learn more about something that we don't normally dive into. Well, thanks again, man. You've always been impressive uh, to me, you know, whatever, whether it's your game or, or the stuff you're doing off the court. And uh, I can't wait to see a healthy Pelicans team this year. All right. So hopefully it all works out. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Cintas. In sports, you're always thinking of that next play. It's the same with business. Cintas has the products, people, and solutions that help keep you a step ahead. And your Cintas MVPs are the dedicated service reps who help make sure your team has what you need when you need it. They really got you covered. Cintas has workwear and apparel for almost any job imaginable. They have styles that are durable, comfortable, and great looking, and they'll deliver fresh uniforms back to your business every week. They'll deliver floor mats and restroom products and stock your essential cleaning supplies. They provide first aid supplies, safety training, and life-saving AED defibrillators. And then they'll even test and inspect your fire extinguishers, fire protection systems, and emergency exit lights. Visit Cintas.com and get ready for the workday.
You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Before we get to life advice, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. What's good, everybody? How's your week been? Let's just check, let's just check in on it, everyone. Doing well. Um, there's maybe going to be a fight next week um, at, at, right before the wedding. There's been some <laughs> issues about the about the house and about this stupid thing. And uh, what's going one on? Guy dude? Was, one guy was trying to find a base. It's so dumb, Ryan. It's like this guy was like, she was like, all right, we're all going to make a, a shared album on iPhone uh, for for the pictures from the bachelor party. And everyone's like, okay, great. And one guy from Poughkeepsie's like, how do you do it? And they're like, all right, here's how you do it. And he's like, I don't understand what you guys are talking about. How do you, and he kept asking, they're like, hey man, maybe you just don't send your photos. It's fine if you can't figure this out. And he was like, no, what, what are you guys talking about? How do you do it? One guy calls him a dumbass. That like became a whole thing. And then he got upset at the guy who called him a dumbass. The guy who called him a dumbass was like, watch your mouth. I'll smack you like your fucking friend smacked you on the porch. And it was like, oh boy. Porch so, is back uh, in the mix. The, yeah, the porch is getting callbacks. And and then basically it ended with like, I'm going to see you in a couple weeks anyway, guy. So I was like, ah. So um, I don't know where we're at. Uh, I called I called my one guy the other day who's not a Poughkeepsie guy, but was involved in this. And I was like, you're not really going to smack this dude at my wedding. I just went to your wedding. It's all good, right? He was like, if he says something to me, I'm going to smack him. I'm like, oh, so I can't. Nobody's Nobody's talking sense right now. Uh, I'd expect this from the Poughkeepsie guys. I wouldn't really respect it, expect this from the New York City guys, but um, I'm just, I left that group chat and I'm just, I don't know. I'm just gonna, just gonna hope for the best. You don't need this, buddy. I now I wish I it. were going. I wish I were going. Because um, <laughs> no one can tell these guys to fuck off. I mean, I, I don't know. I uh, I think we're all like there's a, a big group going out Thursday night. I think I got to make sure these two guys are in that group just so they can, you know, I don't want the first time them seeing each other to be at like the cocktail hour. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so uh, I'm wondering if I, if I got to make sure these guys, you know, see each other before because I I really don't have faith that the Poughkeepsie guy is not going to say something, even though I would say he's pretty close to me. I just don't. He's one of those guys who can't help himself. So. I really don't know. I feel like I've been in this situation before. I'm like, man, if everybody just does the right thing, it'll be fine. And then it's like the one guy who just needed to do the right thing isn't going to do the right thing. So I don't know where we're at. Yeah, what you need is like one or two of the guys on each side to just be like, we're not going to let this go down on Kyle's wedding, you know, weekend. You would think, right? Yeah, you would <laughs> yeah, think. Yeah, that's, so, you know, somebody's got to step up out. to the plate. I just don't want to have to keep reaching out. I was like, if I could just no. talk to the guys in the group, and it's like the group has just descended in the chaos. I, I reached out to one guy on the side who was just like, why are you even asking me that? You know, if he says something to me, I got to hurt him. I'm like, oh, okay. So He's got to uh, hurt was, him? Yeah. What's this guy do for a living? <laughs> Teacher. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> so um yeah i don't okay. know we're we're just um is he tough kind of, I, i'd say he's pretty tough yeah yeah i don't know this i'm i'm pissed off for you on your behalf like you know i remember one specific wedding i was not invited to because of this reason i mean oh, look the guy beef? was dating the guy was dating the girl i had just proposed to so ah, all right. you know and he was sort of in the circle of friend group and he would have never talked to her in a million years had I not dated her for a while and I found out the hard way it's like you're not nobody wants you there and I was like I'm the one that didn't do anything wrong 
And they're like, yeah, that's what makes it even worse. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, this you're, is like you're going to feel justified. Like, <laughs> right. Yes. You're going to feel justified if you do something and we're just not having it. And I was like, yep, that's fine. And it's funny because then I ran into the guy that got married. And he's like, yeah, dude, just, you know, wasn't going to happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're going to have you in the same room. And I was like, yep, yeah, you know, and then I was upset or whatever. But the point is, is that, you know, I think I was 26. So, um, I don't, I don't think I would have done anything. I don't know. But now me being older and hearing your friends do this to you, what you're 10 days out, this is bullshit. You don't need this. I, I hate this for you. I feel when, what's your last day on the show? Are you doing Sunday with Bill and I, um, before the wedding? Yeah, I'll do Tuesday too. I'll do You'll do Tuesday. Well. It's okay. just a tough time to take time off. As you know, it's going to be the final. So I'm pretty much, uh, I worked it out with Saruti. Like, what? I'll have like five days off, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be there Tuesday. I just wish your friends wouldn't be this selfish or the specific one friend that already sounds like he can't help himself and it's, and it's on and maybe they can fight on Thursday. That's what I'm saying. I think we might have to, we might have to uh, like, you know, out back of Mahoney's or something by the train station uh, because my fiance doesn't know any of this and I'm not, I'm not planning on telling her, Hey, you know, so something's in the works. You shouldn't have to part part of the wedding party responsibilities. Uh The best man should be like, Uh, I'll, you should be insulated brother. He's you like, shouldn't be got sit- stuff to do. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't matter. All, somebody, the all the other guys. How many of the guys are in the wedding that were at the bachelor party? Um, three out of my six like grooms, bros, groomsmen. So it's, it's um, kind of on there. those three guys. It's kind of on those three guys to be like, this is Kyle's day. This is her day. Like, we can't let our idiot friend fuck this up. Basically. And, and you're right. just trying to you know. you're just trying to put together a video to play during the ceremony or after no, the reception. No. I guess I don't know what they yeah. want to do with it. They just wanted to make a. I hope they don't play a video of that weekend. Uh, it's uh, I, it's just I think they were just trying to make like a fun memory thing. On and the one guy just couldn't understand what a shared <laughs> album is, and he was being like really upset, and everyone else was being annoyed at how upset he was, and it was like they sent him a YouTube video on how to do it. Some guy just called him a dumbass, and then it just escalated from there. So, so I don't know. wait, the guy I, that's I bad it. at the the video collage thing is, is the, the guy, guy that smacked the dude on the porch and also, yes. And it's also the guy that can't help himself. He can't help himself in a way of saying dumb shit. The other guy can't help himself is say, if he feels disrespected, he has to like say, I'll either I'll, I'll beat your ass okay. or, or <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so was the guy that was just saying, I can't, I cannot handle being disrespected. Was he the one that was actually slapped on the porch? No, that was the other guy. And that's why he feels like he's got to do this because he's like, that. I already know that guy gets slapped. So so now I got to. <laughs> oh, so it was a third guy. There was a third guy originally. In yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, all right. So it's all. It's all. We'll figure it out. I think okay. Thursday night's the answer. Well, good luck. Thanks. Speaking of fuck off, uh, Succession, one episode to go. <laughs> <laughs> the funeral scene was terrific. Uh you know, I'm just going to keep repeating myself on how much I like about the show. I'm still holding out some full circle moment about the car crash coming back to mess with Kendall at the very end of this series. I thought that him talking to Logan's security guy at the wake uh, was a really important scene. I don't know why they put that scene in there if there wasn't some full circle moment because that guy could have just disappeared from all the stories and nobody really yeah. would have noticed. And then the fact that the security guy kind of looks back at Kendall because Kendall handles it really poorly, you know, come work for me, come talk to me. I know you're talking to a therapist and all this kind of stuff. And so, uh, that's Kendall protecting himself. And then the way they shot that, where he looks back at him, the only good thing that gives me hesitation that 
I don't think that's the ultimate, maybe it's not the ultimate end game because there's all these other different things that have to be tied off and some won't be. But the show is so terrific that I don't know that they would make it that obvious to close the whole thing. So that's kind of where I'm at. Love the funeral scene. Love the Roman part. Ewan, who you're like, what's this guy going to do? What's this guy going to do? He hates his brother. He gets up and kind of tells this story about them coming across the Atlantic that was like endearing, but then he sort of stops himself, but he doesn't go full rage, which was exactly what a guy I think in that role would have done at the funeral. And then for Kendall to kind of have a moment where he saves it from Roman and the writing of that whole thing. uh, Once again, they stay in scenes longer than most TV shows ever would bother with. And then it stops feeling like television. So one to go. Can't wait. Yeah, I think uh, his brother and that whole speech. I mean, I like that they do those things at the end of the episodes. Like they do them for like all the HBO shows now. And, you know, some of them I think are necessary. Some of them aren't. But like the ones for succession, I just I I love that they talk stuff through and explain why they do things. And the way I think it was, it was, uh, I think it was, I think it was Jesse, right, who said basically that the thought process was you're not trying to absolve him of being a bad dude, but it just gives you a bit more context into why he is the way he is. And that's totally true. Cause you're like, damn, do I feel bad? Like, so he, so he, he comes over across the Atlantic. There's a a war situation. His sister dies of polio. His aunt, uncle basically blame him for it without actually really any knowledge of it even being his fault. And you start to get a picture of like, yeah, maybe it makes sense as to why he's kind of such an asshole and so hard and like doesn't really understand how to make relationships that aren't like business uh, forward. So I, I love I, I thought it was great. And obviously the entire time with Greg and, and Roman just like being like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Like, I don't know. What am I going to do? Like take his legs out. That was incredible. Um, the scene with all of the wives and mistresses, though, man, that thing <laughs> was fucking excellent. It was so good. Caroline is the worst, but you're like. Actually, she kind of has a heart, and that was really nice of her to bring Carrie out because Carrie's, you know, kind of. At first, I was like, "What the hell is going to go down right now?" For her to introduce, you know, her to hurt and say, "Hey, this was this is my Carrie to Marsha." I mean, it was just that I thought that scene was one of the coolest scenes in the entire show, even though like it, you know, did it mean a ton? No, but like and then for them to all sit in the front row, to me, that was one of the coolest parts of the entire episode. Kyle, do you not watch it, or you don't care? Oh no, I watched it. I watched it. Um... I was super uncomfortable when Roman was up there. I mean, that was like, uh, yeah, talk about an ugly cry, you know, but, uh, that was, uh, that was, I mean, and succession's made me feel uncomfortable in the past, but I, that's probably a top three moment. Like, well, when is this going to stop? Like, I, I felt, I felt like I felt something. I was like, oh God. Yeah. When he was like, so, is he um, in there? Can we get him out of here? You're like, oh man, this is. Yeah. I mean, I, it just, it, I physically felt something. So that's, I think that's a sign of a good, a good scene. So, so there was that. And I got, I just got some Greg theories. I mean, it, it, we used to joke about Uh-oh. Greg and now I think, <laughs> now I really think he's, um, you know, I think his odds have shot up. That's for sure. I mean, you know, the, the paper Greg question mark was kind of a, a laugh. And even before that, we were like, oh, who's it going to be? It's like, well, you know, Greg's a character, but, uh, you know, I could see Matson doing the old switcheroo on Shiv and just being like, you know, Shiv's a fake puppet. Greg's a real puppet. Like, why not just, why not it just be Greg? And, you know, Greg's, I think, become the point where he's like trying to insert himself in conversations about like toppling whoever's at the top. And so, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Greg's like the puppet CEO at the top and all the kids are like, wait, what the fuck just happened? So for, uh, yeah, further adding to them hanging out where he got the info on Shiv and then he tells everybody on election night, but then did Madsen connect with him? Uh, 
I just I think mean, he Shiv's, might not trust Shiv enough. Like, you know. Yeah, but she's be been like, getting her ass kicked. She's been getting her ass kicked. And I wonder if that's the setup to her finding a way to salvage yeah. this. Uh, or is it going to be that obvious? Is, is one of the kids actually just going to win? Or is it going to be Carl? You know? Love Carl. So, uh, I'll, I'll just say this really quick. I, I, it was, there have to be a to winner watch, too, you know, but go ahead. Sorry. It was uncomfortable to watch Roman, that whole thing. I was almost more uncomfortable though with the Kendall kids car scene with his wife. I, that was, I, Ugh, that wasn't good. I was like, dude, Unhinged. And when he's like banging on the window and then it's like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna have to run me over. And you're just like, dude, your kids are in the car, man. And like, it kind of, it kind of was like, man, is he sort of like weirdly turning into like a fake version of Logan, you know, where he's just kind of a bad person. Uh, and maybe that's what it's setting up for, for him to, you know, obviously he's never going to be as good as his dad, but he's like trying to be, and he becomes like the asshole kind of like his dad. And that to me was, I, I thought that that was incredibly uncomfortable to watch. As a parent, that really rattled As him. a parent, yeah. Now that, you, now that I have <laughs> yeah. a, daughter, a daughter, come on. That was a layup. You guys wouldn't get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, now that I had a daughter and that scene, it just, you know, it was a little different. Yeah. Uh, there's somebody we all know that that dropped uh, Now That I Have a Daughter on Me years ago, and it was one of the most, I was, I was irate. <laughs> it was a, what yeah, was it in was, reference to, though? It wasn't, I can't I mean, go there. It's I don't want to be a dick. Soul. But right. like it is true. There are some things where like I've just of course caught my, I've caught myself being like, oh, all right, I think about this a little bit differently. I'm not. I wouldn't outwardly be like, Ryan, man, you just you don't understand, dude. Like, it's no, just different. but there's there's. I'd say it's a heavy usage rate of now that I have a son, now that I have a daughter, now, and yeah. you're like, okay, like now that I have a daughter, I no longer want to murder animals. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it doesn't change much for me. But that, all right, yeah, you wouldn't get it. No, I, I I don't know. I think I do. Although reading about Shackleton right now, I can't believe I never read that book before. They just take it out on the seals. Uh, all right. <laughs> Life advice. Life advice. RR at gmail.com. Okay. We got a, we got a hardo alert. I didn't realize the Rosillo pod has three simps on it now. Oh boy. He bought the tickets. <laughs> He didn't handle it well, but he has every right to change who he wants to bring. All caps. He bought the tickets. Why are you guys treating the situation with such a double standard? You guys gave trash advice. Stop being so simpy and woke. It doesn't fit y'all. Fuck, What is woke about that? (laughs) Come on, man. That was uncomfortable. (laughs) We've been over y'all, first of all. Yeah. Y'all get fucking... Just First of all, I did say he should find a, a way to get the tickets back if that's what he wants to do. So you're not even we listening, co- guy. We covered every single possible angle, but it is now. That sucks. I guess if you talk about Taylor Swift, you're woke now. All right. Well, it's I on our say, radar. It's I on our radar. Say, shout out to all the people. I had a lot of positive uh, feedback on that. People being like, dude. From the left? <laughs> from from okay, okay. liberal media. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well done. <laughs> uh no but no it made a dude feel it made a dude feel good i will be honest people i had a lot of people reach out and i was like i was there man bobby who works uh, at the ringer with us shout out to him he was at the saturday show asked him if he caught some rain he did not but he was like it was funny to listen to, th- to you have to explain why it was okay for you to go to see the biggest artist in the world i was like yeah no i know i know it is what it is yeah for the record i'm all for it i'm not i'm not did you feel like i was giving you shit about it no. at all no good. i didn't i just figured the audience would maybe i just maybe i misread that so i'm, I'm happy with the positive feedback Okay. Uh, we had a Paul Dano follow up. No, let's go. 
<laughs> I kind of like some of these meeting celebrity stories, although I'm afraid they could be fake. Apparently, the Tyler, uh, Tyler, the creator of the Paris interview, it, I, it wasn't shocking to have a couple of people be like, that's actually edited and fake, which makes it funny as hell. Um, it was even funnier when I thought it was possibly real, but it was so weird. I was like, is he doing a bit or whatever? I guess it's entirely fake. So there you go. Um, but I, so some of these could be fake, but this one seems to be straightforward enough to be real short story about meeting Paul Dano since Ryan is convinced it's too weird to randomly talk to. Yeah. I don't think I was going to talk to him at a fish show during (laughs) a more nasty COVID, uh, the more nasty COVID time shortly after bars, restaurants open for outdoor dining only. I was walking into birds on Franklin Avenue in Hollywood. Kyle may be familiar. Kyle birds. Never heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Small plates. When I noticed Paul Dano, sitting at a two-person table with another dude who I don't believe was a celebrity. Played it cool, walking past him towards the entrance and said to my girlfriend, holy shit, that's fucking Paul Dano. It was fairly late at night, so there weren't many people hanging out outside. We get uh, sat at the table directly in front of Paul and his friend. I had my back to them, ordered a few drinks and an appetizer, and they were still there hanging out too. We decided to have one more round of drinks, and when the server, uh, server came over, I told him that I would like to buy that table. His friend included, of course, a round of drinks that they're choosing. That would have been weird if you were like just the other guy. Uh, they accepted the server bought, uh, brought them their drinks and Paul raised his glass, looked like it was an old fashioned, uh, as a cheers. Thank you. My girlfriend told me to turn around as he was doing that. So I did Paul and I made eye contact and he gave me a head nod. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool, but figured that was it. A couple minutes later, he came up to our table and said, thank you for the drink. COVID fist bump. He held out a fist and we were fist bumping and it was pretty fucking cool. And he walked away, and that was that. So, Ryan, he might just be a little chiller than the lunatics he plays on screen. Shouts out to this guy for that's a, that's a great way to play seeing a celebrity in public, buying him a drink, being super chill about it. Like, so shout out to the emailer. Yeah, we were in Montreal once for uh, some bender, and one of the guys at our table with this really fancy steakhouse was so shit faced. He went up to Javi Lopez and like another guy on the Braves, I think it was the backup catcher, and he went over and thanked them for their service. <laughs> that was not the way to handle it. <laughs> Two guys were looking at me being like, what, what is he doing? And we're like, I don't know. Is he buying him around? And he's like, no, he like went over and was like, Hey, and he like patted him on the back. Same guy also went up to Tino Martinez and Derek Jeter and brought him like 700 Miller lights at Daisy Buchanan's once. And they were like, dude, what do you want us to do with all of these beers? <laughs> he was like, uh, it's all right. Speak, speaking of seeing people out and about 29, 510, 160 pounds player comp is regular season Rondo. I live in Chicago and last Wednesday I, I was enjoying a lovely early dinner with some friends at Oshaval. <laughs> as we got up from our table to leave, I do a double take as I see Ryan Rosillo, obviously solo, <laughs> wearing a hat, standing at the entrance and waiting for a table. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of the pod. was now finally my chance to meet one of the crew in person. Although, to be honest, I wish it was Kyle. Uh, However, nice. I totally froze in the moment. I made eye contact with Rosillo and gave an awkward head nod that got returned with an angry stare. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, I knew Rosillo was no Mr. Rogers, but I was still surprised at the very apparent, quote, this dude better not even think about coming up to me energy that he was giving off. So instead, I shamefully walked out of the restaurant without saying a word. My question is, how should I have handled the situation so that I could say hi and give my appreciation for the pod without pissing Ryan off? There are probably a bunch of dudes listening right now who think I'm a wuss for not saying what's up, but this feels like the street 
fight situation where every guy says, oh, I would have totally laid the smack down on that dude. But when you actually find yourself in that situation, you back down because the crazy guy may have a knife. But in this case, Ryan is a crazy dude with a knife. Um, I don't remember this. I have to say that I think that's just my face. You think you have like a solo face? I was wondering, maybe you wouldn't know. Like if you're just solo, maybe you just kind of have a different mode and you're just, you're just not looking super approachable when you're, when you're by yourself. Cause when you're, when there's somebody else, maybe you're, you know, you think about it a little more and like, you know, maybe relax certain muscles on your face or something. You First know? of all, I would never, I've never once ever been a jerk to just be like, yeah, of course. You know, if somebody's going to come up and say, Hey, I love the pod. It's, I tell everybody like, to have people like what you do is the nicest thing you can tell somebody who does this. So why anybody would ever be a dick about that. But I'd imagine I was pretty locked in on getting in there because of how busy it was. And I probably was just like, I have a purpose, you know, I kind of walk with a purpose. I look with a purpose. It could just be that I'm the male resting bitch face. Like if I were a woman, they'd be like, oh, she's so hot, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, right. But probably that's what people would say about me. So You know, like, oh, nobody (laughs) talks to her. She's so hot, though. So, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I definitely would have said what's up and probably bullshitted, but I probably was so focused on making sure I got a seat at the bar to get in and get out and not this. Because I walked up and I was like, what are we talking about here? She's like, 45 minute wait. Now it's going to be two hours soon. And I was like, I'm by myself. She's like, there's one right over there. I was like, all right. So that could have been it. So I'm sorry. Cheat code. It's a cheat code for life. Go everywhere by yourself. Two things. One, not only the like resting bitch face or whatever, but you, you, you're just your general aesthetic, Ryan. Like, I think it's it's hard for I think a a bald, jacked guy with a beard to look approachable. I just think like picture even like I don't know if you saw Jason Statham out right now. Like he he's he kind of has tall. that same. Sorry, well, he's not that tall. There you go. Here you go. Classic. Uh, <laughs> you know he he kind of has that same like face. Like I don't know I've, how many times you've seen him smile. He, he doesn't look very approachable. So maybe it's just kind of that sort of thing. But also, you are all business, no matter what it is. Like, even when some guys come on, hop on the Zoom. Kyle, you could probably back me up on this. Like, a guy will pop up on the Zoom, and, you know, you're just kind of like, all right, let's get it going. Like, how much time you have? And then at the end, like, there's not much chit-chat. If there's, like, a window of you guys finding some commonality or whatever, you'll chat somebody up, and you'll kind of open up, and I see your eyes kind of go, oh, oh, wow, well, this is cool. But you're very much all business in your approach to a lot of things. So maybe that's it. Like, you're out and about. You're out in public. Like, you're trying to get your shit done. So I imagine it's, like, a subconscious thing from you, but you you probably don't look super approachable. I have to back this guy up on that. Oh, I'm not disputing any of this, but I just know, I don't know. I just know how I operate where I'll be like, all right, I'm doing this. And then, you know, this is, this is the move. And then I'm thinking about, all right, I have to be back at the hotel at a certain time because the game's going to be on. And then, you know, if I'm taping tomorrow, that also means, you know, whatever. Uh, maybe I do need a kid. You know, a kid would just be like, hey, all that shit, all that stuff you think you have mapped out, none of it's going to happen. So there you go. Yeah, so sorry. Um, appreciate it. We had some other people be like, hey, you had the cheat, same cheeseburger. I didn't. It tastes different. Oh, from the two I, places. Yeah. Okay, I know yeah. it's owned by the same company, but uh, all right. How about a couple of life devices? All right. What do we got here? What do we got? That was a little Friday feedback preview, which I don't know mm-hmm. if we're ever going to do that or not, but I do like it. Uh, summer. Summer. Yeah. Summer. Summer. Okay. 6'3", 200, former basketball walk-on at a Big Ten school, 12 points in four years. NBD. Love that. Good for you. That's awesome. I had 12 points in four years. Well, 
12 more than most of us will ever have. My wife and I welcomed our first child, a girl, in March of this past year. I'd always heard different people talk about how special fatherhood is, uh, Big Cat and Saruti being two of them. I think Big Cat milks it a little bit more than Saruti does. Uh, I certainly did not appreciate that sentiment until I became a dad. It's demanding. It's so yes. rewarding. Here we go. I didn't even play this Perfect timing. Out. Yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless, being a former athlete, I'm a pretty regimented person. And the chaotic nature of having to take care of another person has been a challenge. I promise I didn't math. Now this is like repeating everything we just talked about. This is a big statement, but uh, I find that former D1 hoops players can be somewhat selfish. We were catered to for four years. Meals, laundry, chartered flights, free access to gyms, weights, and more. Uh, even as a walk-on, I was treated like a king. Admittedly, having to put another person's schedule ahead of mine has been something I've had to learn to navigate. My way of admitting that I'm selfish with my time. We are at week eight and my daughter is sleeping great and we are getting into a rhythm. I told my wife I'm hoping to get back into schedule when it comes to workouts. After listening to your episode with Jeremy Scott, second shout out of the episode, um, I downloaded his app. I use his training program. He has a summer Metcon challenge up in a few days, and I'll be doing consistent workouts for the next five weeks as part of the sign-up. I had to take selfies to track my progress, hopefully gains, S, no Z. And I took these shirtless photos, submitted them, and didn't think much of it. All right, we're actually getting to the fucking point. That was actually a lot of lead up, but maybe necessary. Flash forward to this past weekend, we went back to my wife's hometown so she could attend a wedding shower for one of her best friends. We live in a major U.S. city, not too far from Elgin. Shout out to Elgin, SVP days. And most of her friends are still in her hometown. Because we live three hours away from her hometown, most of her friends have not met our daughter yet. My wife gave me the heads up that the bride and her other friends want me to bring our daughter uh, by the end of the shower so they can all meet her. Deal. I show up with our daughter. She steals the show. Several people are asking us questions and showing genuine interest. A few of her friends asked to see all the photos I had. So I handed them my phone. The first girl scrolled for a long time and then handed my phone back to me very abruptly. I didn't think anything of it. So I handed my phone to the next friend. The next girl scrolls through and then quickly passes back. I was in the middle of feeding my daughter, so I didn't give this much thought. Later that night, I was looking at photos of my phone when I realized both friends must have stumbled on my shirtless selfies that this guy's sending to Jeremy Scott and quickly passed the phone back to me, likely fearing what photos may follow. So what do I do about my wife's friends seeing my shirtless selfies? I'm not embarrassed that these girls saw these photos, but I do feel like an explanation is warranted. I'm likely overthinking it, and they probably just think the photos are strange and a tad bit narcissistic. Nonetheless, I feel like this is really explainable and may avoid them gossiping about me. Um. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, this isn't a problem at all. <laughs> no, it's definitely not a problem. But I mean, are you being too narcissistic to realize that maybe they think is this guy actually sending photos to other people, and then that's gossip that you'd want to cut off at the pass? You know, perhaps, maybe not. I mean, I had to watch Vanderpump Rules just to get ready for our Andy Cohen interview, and you know, it's just guys getting burned by phones year after year, you know, Steve Jobs <laughs> anti-marriage when he invented this thing. You got to ask. <laughs> Scholars will debate it. It's like, what's a way where everybody gets busted all the time? I've got it. It'll be called the iPhone because I'm going to be by myself once my wife goes through this. So, uh, look, I think uh, this isn't really that big of a deal. There's a perfect explanation it is kind of funny. How close are you with these people is probably like, I think it's kind of awesome that you and your wife can laugh about this that hard. Right. Like that's, that's the part of this. That's, that's funny. So I don't, 
I mean, it depends on how close. Do you really care? Do you care that much that they might be talking about you being a narcissist and taking shirts off pictures? When's the next time you're going to run into them? Like, never. I probably wouldn't do anything and I would laugh my ass off about it with my wife. Yeah, unless this doesn't, unless the picture doesn't look good. You know what I mean? That's that's the thing I, I would be a little like, uh, you know, self-conscious about. But I mean, I can, I countless times, like I remember like a girl or a, like they'll, somebody will just be like, here, look at these like four photos. Don't scroll left. It's like, all right, so everybody's got something on their phones. Everybody knows that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's like there's so people are always so freaky if they want to show you like more than one photo, they're like scroll left, but stop after that. Like, I've, that's happened so many times. Then don't show weird. the pictures. You know, that's weirder than seeing something. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, that's what I'm now saying. you're just like, what's going on? Is that a snake? <laughs> exactly. Do you yeah. guys use the hidden folder? Uh, I have in the past. Yeah. Well, you, anything? No, I don't want to incriminate My shit's you. Empty but... now. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I've> got <laughs> sure. Well played. I used to have an app that was a calculator that you had to type in a, a certain number, and then there would be photos in there. Oh, interesting. Okay. Wait, what? Yeah, no, there was mind. like I forget. Never it mind. doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, uh, it's all matters. gone. Getting everybody's, in a couple weeks, everybody's in love now. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, because hey, here's the, here's the only thing that I would add to this. One, I don't think it's a big deal. One, I don't think you need to do anything about it. Uh, it's likely if you're only seeing these people at a shower, I don't know how much interaction that you'll have with them. And I do think it's kind of funny if they, if you don't know them that well and you made like a very direct effort to explain this to people that you don't know that well, that you're not, that would actually be maybe deemed weirder yeah. than them just seeing shirts off pictures of you. And I do think that there's a bit of a just a human reaction now of having these things long enough. When you just start to see a lot of flesh, you just hand the phone back. Sure. Yeah. Right? The the thing is though, that's kind of like of all the like dumb like he he didn't he didn't like incriminate himself. Obviously, there's nothing like really super negative on there. But of all the things that for someone to see, a shirtless sort of like gym selfie is like kind of one of the bigger douchebag moves. So I I do understand why he's like fuck man. Like now they think like I'm some you know self indulgent you know love my body kind of guy. And I I. I I get why that would annoy him. I'm not. It, it isn't a big deal. It doesn't matter. You're not close to these people. Likely, your wife laughed it off, as you guys said. But I get why that would eat away at you, and you'd want them to actually know the truth because it's not you. That's not who you are. Because I make fun of those people all the time. So, if, so if I had a, it was out, if I put myself in the same position, and one of Maddie's friends saw a shirtless selfie of me on my phone, and I saw her reaction, it would eat at me. It would bug me, and I would probably be like, "How do we figure out how to how to make them know that this isn't the deal?" Invite them over. <laughs> have have Kyle's tech guy put together a montage <laughs> of all of Kyle's all of Suri's photos, some with a shirt, some without, and you'd be like, "Yeah, this is this is actually." What if what no. if you just have your wife be like, "Hey, like you know, subtly drop that you're doing this, like sort of like explain it without giving it away that you know that that he knows that you saw them." Be like, "Oh yeah, my you know my husband's been doing this workout plan where he takes his shirt off." Like, are you girls doing anything like that just to like just to put a it out there? Info dump. Yeah, just to put it out there that <laughs> are you guys doing anything? No, I I know you were thinking about that immediately, and it's actually if it's worth it to the wife and she actually interacts with these people enough. Um, because again, I still think it would be like, well, wait a minute. Why would this guy be taking pictures of himself with his shirt off? Is he, if he's married, cause he could just have his shirt off in front of his wife, unless it's something she's really, she likes. She's like, Oh, are you in the hotel? Give me his shirts off picture. And it's just that. <laughs> so whatever. Uh, but you know, they could be like, wait, is he taking these pictures? Cause they're actually sending them to somebody else, but there's a smoother way of getting into it. Not saying that Suri wasn't <laughs> no, coming I, up with this, but it wasn't, a, I wouldn't. In. Yeah, it, exactly. I'm not, right. I'm not saying that's the way, but 
Something like that. No, there could be like, oh, hey, you know, my husband's obsessed with this Jeremy Scott fitness app. And like, you know, he has to send in fucking selfies all the yeah. time or whatever. And yeah, then, make fun of yourself. She right. can make fun of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then they know why. Right. Yeah. Jeremy Scott getting guys into trouble. Yeah. Okay. Last one here. Longer pod. So here we go. Uh, six four two twelve. Playing weight was closer to 200. Trying to shed a few LBs before the summer. Big fan since the SVP days. A little bit of context. I worked in the sports and entertainment world five plus years. Was in the same building as Ryan for a couple of playoff games, both lost by the home team. I wonder what those were. Uh, and enjoyed close to unlimited access to tickets to some of the biggest shows you can think of. This, of course, came with the original request from friends to hook them up with tickets, which I gladly obliged. After all, with what we got paid, we might as well enjoy the perks of being the cool friend. Totally agree. Trenton Thunder tickets. I think they gave us 10. I think they gave us 10, and then I sent two to some girl who was married, which I didn't know. I didn't know she was married, and she's like, how about I hook you up with my friend who's... And I was like, yeah, that's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. You know? You're at a Chamber of Commerce event firing away your game. <laughs> Do you have a card? Oh, you work for state rep, whatever. Anyway, yeah, that's a true story. I like got a business card from her, and then she was like, dude, I'm married. I was like, yeah, makes sense. You're fucking wicked hot. All right. Um, so you don't want the Trenton Thunder tickets? Uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to make a bit of a left turn in my career and left this specific side of the industry. Requests from friends to help them get tickets have died down close to zero. Uh, of course, I still have a lot of contacts in the business in my area and get in most venues with comps, but I don't abuse it, especially if it's for someone else. Uh, so, but let's call one of our friends here. One of the friends here's name is James. He was one of the people asking for tickets constantly back when I was in this world. And it hasn't really stopped, exclamation point. I helped him get a couple of tickets for one venue and he hasn't stopped asking since then. He wants, he went to two shows last month and the day after the second show, he was already asking for tickets for another one next month. My question is, do I tell him straight up that he can't keep asking me or do I make up a lie? Like tell him that my contact there doesn't work there anymore. I don't want to burn bridges for when I want to go to my uh, go myself to an event. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Okay. So what you have is you have one of the rare um, lanes of access here, despite pivoting career-wise where you still have all these contacts. And clearly, they all still like you enough to keep giving you the tickets. You cannot fuck this up. Okay, you have the secret password in a way that most people would love to have. And, you know, is that guy potentially talking about you to somebody else? Be like, oh, let's call him Dave. Dave, who used to be my dude, he keeps asking for tickets. You can't be asking for like two or three things in a month unless you're entirely cool with your provider for shit that isn't even yours. The other problem with free tickets is people like fucking free stuff. Way too much. I know that sounds odd, but there are people making a ton of money that can go buy their own fucking tickets and beyond the inconvenience that it is normally for the person that has to get them and then relay them to somebody else. Yes, I realize the apps are supposed to make it easier, but you ever get locked out of one of those on the way into the crypto.com arena going, wait, I have the login. Wait, is this a fake email? Is this the real email? Is it the spam email? This guy's now DMing me what the fuck just happened? And then the person's looking at you going, Mastodon's already three songs in. And I'm like, Sea Beast is usually later in the set. We'll be okay. So, uh, I, I just, tickets are weird. Tickets are beyond just the normal free stuff category. The free ticket 
abuser loves telling the other people that he got him for free. And that's the that's the secret to all this whole ticket bullshit that people that have access to them do, right? And by the way, I didn't have like crazy, crazy access, believe it or not. I'm not a big asker. I don't really like asking anyone uh, to do me a favor. I don't think I do. I hope I don't. I, I'm, I think I'm pretty clear on that one. So I rarely, rarely ever went to anybody. I got the master's badges because I think at that point I was on the layoff list. <laughs> They were like, ah, fuck them. Here's, here's like the ultimate master's hookup. Your last meal. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was kind of like that. And so I got that. Every now and then there was a, a World Series ticket that popped in. So I didn't, I didn't do bad. And then, of course, I had my own access just by going to covering some of that stuff. But the salespeople are the people that keep all the tickets. They're mm-hmm. the ones hooking up all these different people. But back to the point that I need to hammer home the most here is that there's something erotic to the request friend when that friend gets to tell the other people like, Hey, I got a guy he's at MSG and I made this happen. And the problem is that guy that gets off on bragging that he got the tickets for free more often than not can always fucking afford them. So he's asking you for something that's jeopardizing your own, your own access, right? Potentially, unless the guy providing you with it is totally cool. Like there's also that portion of it, but it's usually not always cool. There's usually always this make-believe limit where people have already set that limit on you and you don't even know what it is by you asking where the closer you get to that, then he starts thinking like, ah, maybe I'll just fucking not hook this guy up next month. And you can't jeopardize that for yourself because it sounds like you're in a really good rhythm for another dude who clearly doesn't care about it and probably gets off on being able to tell his group that he got they he got all of them in for free. Right? Kyle's nodding here because you know what I'm talking. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Guy who can buy his own tickets, buy them for everybody that somehow wants to inconvenience somewhere else because it sounds cooler when they're pre-gaming over beers that he got the hookup. Because everybody wants to be known as the guy that's able to get the hookup because it's actually a very rare breed. The story at the bar, too, it's like, you know, that's there's that guy who's just like it like this. I can tell it's probably not even going to happen, but he's just already put it on the table as a thing that could happen. He's like, well, you know, Masters next year do have a guy, uh, you know, he got in some buddies last year. One of his friends is uh, has been a lifelong member. So, you know, who knows, man, maybe next year. And it's just like, all right, so we could be talking about anything. But we're talking about this thing that's not going to happen because, you know, a guy. So I understand that. I would just say. Um, normalize. No, I'm just going to keep, just say no, look at a straight 100%. face, say no, see what happens. See what happens. I mean, I, I've never been in like normalize. a power broker position. Yeah. I've never been in a, you know, power broker position where somebody's, you know, I've been able to like change somebody's like whole fucking event, you know, or whatever they're doing. Do you but, like, get asked, me, do you get asked, I get asked like, Hey, hook me up with a free Spotify. I'm like, okay, so who, <laughs> who, who am I going to talk to at Spotify about just getting a, a blank, a blank subscription to give to somebody that's in perpetuity. Like, what do you think? Like people just ask you for shit when they know that like you're attached to something, but that's, I don't even say like, dude, that that wouldn't even work like that. I just say, no, I just say, nope, not going to do that. So, um, you know, I I, I'd say do that. Or if, if for some reason you're not into that, just lie. As I've gotten older, I've just just gotten really into lying. So I think you could just just (laughs) lie about, lie about something like this. You know, and not not like I'm not like lying on here. I'm just saying like lying when people you know are asking you to do something that they probably shouldn't be asking you. It's like I'm not wrong here, but I don't want to get into it, so I'm just gonna lie. Yeah, I've, I've said this before. It's okay. A little white lie to like make your life better. That's right. not gonna hurt anybody. Is that's totally I mean. totally acceptable, and I think that's what this should, this guy should do. He'd also be well within his rights to be like, dude, 
I, I just don't have the time for this. Like I, I, I've hooked you up over the years. It's multiple times a month. It's not going to work. I'm sorry. Like I think you just have to be real with him. Otherwise, he's probably going to keep asking you. Um, it was definitely the worst when we were at ESPN. Everybody thought just because you worked there, like the lowest of the totem pole people, you know, like the, <laughs> right. the yeah, lowest entry the level radio PA. guy. Yeah. yeah. I'd be like, right. hey, can you get me finals tickets? Like, dude, like I, <laughs> Ryan can't even get final. Like I, I, how many times, Ryan? And I think in yeah. the how, decade that I, I'm all right, you can get finals tickets, but not like for for some rando for um, a random. Yeah. How many times in like the 10 whatever years that I've known you have I ever asked you for anything? It's because it's I know that it's not easy to get. In fact, the one thing I think that you did, Maddie, my wife, asked you, it was the Nets tickets we got recently. Because I just know it's hard. I know it's a pain in the ass. And I never want to be like a burden to somebody. So yeah, you're 100% right. These people, they 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 get off on it. And it's like, it's it's also dumb. Like my, It's funny. It's one thing if somebody's like naive, though. Like my mom, for example. Like she saw that like Bill and the crew went to the Masters, and she was like, "Oh, do you think like we'd be able to go next year?" And I'm like, "Mom, like, <laughs> I, I know where I'm at here. Like, like that's it's, sweet. I'm doing I'm doing all right, but like you know, I'm not I'm not Bill. I'm not Bill Ryan level, and it's fine because she doesn't know any better. But like your buddy who's like, "Hey, do you think we can get a house at the Masters next year?" Which hasn't happened. I'm just saying hypothetically. Like that guy sucks. So I think you're well within your rights to just tell this guy, I, like, how good of a friend is this guy? Like, how why do you keep hooking him up? Yeah, right. Like, what does he have on you that like you're emailing us and you're asking us if you can actually just straight up say no to this dude? And I think what's the downside to you saying no, unless you're just uncomfortable confrontation, unless there's something else like does he ever do anything for you? Right. Does he does he say, hey, let me get a dinner because he got those tickets like maybe then I could see it. If this is one of your closest friends and that's why you want to lean more towards white lie and not the hardcore no. Uh, and you're right, Steve. I think it's important to bring up the naive thing. Like my father last year during the NBA finals, I had tickets to games three and four. And I can't believe I gave up the game four tickets. <laughs> I went with game three with one of my friends. Of course, Steph lost. And, uh, you know, he's a lifelong Celtics fan. So he flew down from Vermont. Shout out to Marty, Buffalo Wild Wings. What's up? And, we went and then I, he's like, what are you doing with the game four tickets? I was like, I told my dad I'd get him in the building, but I only have two and I can't, I want my brother and my dad to go. So I'll, I think I'm just going to, I think I flew back to LA the next day and left him the tickets. So then my father, you know, was back on the vineyard and I think, you know, he's probably fixing somebody's porch or something, porch back in the mix. And the guy, you know, this is the homeowner that he's doing the job for. He's like, oh, what'd you do? He's like, oh, I went to the game four of the finals and the guy's like oh how'd you get those he's like oh my son he works in sports he's like what's he doing for his game six tickets he's like you know what he's not <laughs> doing with him you know what he's not doing with him porch guy porch guy's going <laughs> yeah hey guy i don't know like how long do you think the imaginary line is before i get to the guy who i don't know who my dad is fixing his porch for game six of the nba fucking finals <laughs> crazy <laughs> so yeah i think some i think it's sometimes the naive part but this guy knows like this guy knows especially if he knows that you were in the business all the other times you've had to get tickets for it you've got to figure out the math is there anything that's coming back to you for this to even feel like you need to be massaging about the whole deal but don't number one goal do not jeopardize your own deal all right do not let anyone else's request jeopardize your own deal because you are one of the lucky ones there are very few that get to live in this world and you are one of them I will say one thing, and in this guy's defense of why he's like, he's like, why did you help him out so many times? I was on my bachelor party and I found myself doing this thing. I like woke up halfway in the middle of it. 
my buddy's like, the World Cup's coming. One of the New York City guys is like, the World Cup's coming. You know, what is that, 2026 already? When is that? It's like years away, right? Yep. Okay, yep. it's years away. And he's just like, you know, it's going to be in L.A. You're going to get us. You're going to get us in. And I was like, yeah, maybe I could do something. I was so comfortable saying that because it's three years away. But then, like, I woke up like, what the fuck? Who am I going to ask for World Cup? How many beers? So stadium? <laughs> How many beers <laughs> in? Be honest, <laughs> uh, dude. I could. I didn't count. I mean, it was it was daylight. I can tell you that. I don't know. But I'm just uh, saying. I, I think any planning, city planning, long term business planning partnerships after six beers, none of that has any like sure. standing. Right. But I will say it did. It helped. It felt good that I was the guy that he was like consulting was like, how are we going to get this done? And I was like, well, I mean, I guess I could ask somebody. We got a little time, right? We'll figure it out. I'm not going to ask anybody. Like, what am I going to do about this? Like, you're not planning the 2026 World Cup is what you're no, saying. No, what am I supposed to do? There's the Rudy, hey, do you know anybody? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm already worried about the tickets are going to be, I mean, for the U.S. games, it's going to be. Right. Be a That's what ticket. I'm saying. Yeah. But he but he like being on the outside thought I had some sort of pull. And that feels nice is all I'm saying. I woke up halfway through the conversation like, why are you telling him this? You're not going to do anything no, about this. I, I'd you're, like you're to help saving grace that is three years away. But that's like. No, if somebody so, uh, comes to me in a one-off though, and is like, "Hey, could you help me out?" Like, yeah, hell yeah, I'll try to help you out. If especially if you're like a core person, I really like you. But if it's a, if you're a repeat offender asking me multiple times a month, that's sure, just not the sure. same thing. Understood. I'm just saying, I get the I get the feeling the guy gets when he's like, "I'm about to make some totally. guy's day," or this guy thinks I can make his day. Not even that I could do it. I like what Kyle just brought up though, because I'll admit too, which I think Sarudi will find surprising, and I say Sarudi only because he, you know, uh, he usually probably guess. We could finish each other's sentences. That wasn't going to be so lame, so we don't do it. Uh, <laughs> that's weird. There's nothing. I know. It's just got weird. Maybe we should edit that out. But uh, <laughs> there's nothing better than planning something that's in the future when there's no steps needed like to make the plans because it's so far out. And then you're definitely not doing that thing that you're planning. Like there's, hey, do you want to do this next weekend? No. Hey, in six months, there's a chance for this. No, like I got invited to Nashville for this thing in August. That's a pretty big deal. And the guy was like, do you think you can make this? And I, I know, like, I'm like, probably not. But I said yes yesterday. <laughs> right. Because it's, it's kind of <laughs> in that window. Past the cutoff. Right. Yeah. right. It's kind of in that window. I remember when Atlanta was announced for the summer games in 96, I, I think I was at the bus stop, like a little kid, didn't even have a driver's license yet. Right. And I grabbed the newspaper. I would steal my dad's newspaper, which is a really dick move now that I think about it. I'd read the yeah, newspaper while it's around. Bus stop. Like, yeah, it's coming around. Years old. <laughs> yeah, right. Full circle. Great call. <laughs> um, you know, because then at first he's like, what's going on? Hartford Current. We don't have a sports section in here. And uh, again, this is when I was really young. And I remember reading the announcement as I was, I just remember whatever this is, walking up the hill to the bus stop at our driveway, grabbing the paper. And then reading that Atlanta got the Summer Olympics. And I was like, shit, I'll be in college by then. I was like, I'll definitely go down to Atlanta yeah. for the Summer Games. <laughs> not totally. only did I not do that, <laughs> my roommate from college was living in Atlanta that summer. And I still was like, I'm not fucking going to Atlanta for right. the Summer Olympics. Yeah. But when I was 11, I was going to go. Mm -hmm. All right. There you go. A little Olympic history. We covered a lot today. Uh, please subscribe to the Ryan Russillo Podcast. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. As always, Ringer Spotify. We'll see you on Sunday night with Bill and back next Tuesday.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 